0: Welcome to Spielin' and Dealin', the Georgia High School Basketball Podcast. I am Kyle Sandy, the owner and founder of sandyspiel.com, and with me today, as always, is Ramin Forgani, the producer and moderator of the podcast. Ramin, it is finally here. State Championship weekend, more so all week, Wednesday through Saturday. We've been with you through the off season, through the regular season, region tournaments, state playoffs. We're the spot to come to. All comes to fruition this week. Ramin, how are you doing today, sir?
1: I am doing well, Kyle. I am tired. I was out at some final four games, as I know you were. Take four games in a day takes a toll on you, but we are finally here at the state championship. Nowhere else we'd rather be. This is what we've been building up to, and we have a great podcast in store for you, ladies and gentlemen. Lots of special guests with some expert analysis. But before we get to that, Kyle, we need to thank our sponsors.
0: Yes, we'd like to thank our Spillin' and Dealing podcast sponsor, Sportal Space. Sportal Space helps teams find gyms and fields for practice or training and makes booking a gym as easy as finding a restaurant on OpenTable or a hotel on Expedia. Check out Sportal Space. Every practice, every game.
1: And now, Kyle, I want to get right into it. We're going to switch up the order a bit. I thought it made more sense to go in a chronological order, as you alluded to. We do go Wednesday to Saturday, so we're going to start with Wednesday. The first game of the day is going to be 2 o'clock, the 2A Girls' State Championship, and it's going to be Laney versus Josie for the fifth time this season, Kyle.
0: Yes, and that is is a theme. There are a ton of games uh, that we are going to see this week that are rematches and very familiar opponents. And – just looking at it, Laney, they got a, a sparkling record. It looks like they're 31-0 if their max preps is correct. You never know sometimes, but 31-0. And you're looking at Josie, who is, um, I believe they're listed at, uh, they are 27-4, if that is correct. And all four of their losses have, of course, come to Laney. And just looking at how they've done uh throughout the season, they've had some really close games. They, they, Josie's led a lot of these games, and then they just run out of juice. So their first meeting, 70-57, uh, to 57, Laney came back and won that one. Then their second meeting, this one was at Josie, 67-60. Laney again close, 68-62, they meet again. And then in the region championship, Josie, you know, they get blown out 66-41, so Fingers crossed it's going to be uh, more so that, that second and third matchup of a very close game. Um, you know, we all know, I mean, everyone talks about Ups and Lee as being the team with the longest winning streak, you know, over 60 games. I mean, shoot, Laney's got over 60-game winning streak as well, and they've been the team to beat all year long, and they just keep on marching and marching and marching. They keep on rolling, and uh, they, they did a good job. They they handled their business in the semifinal, and uh, you know they 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 were down like eleven to two, nine to two early to model, but they ended up winning sixty eight fifty one. Victoria Saxon going to South Carolina, she was held to just fourteen points. She picked up a third foul, uh, I believe that was early in the second half, and that was pretty much all she wrote. Uh, and, and Desha Benjamin going to Alabama finished with 21 points. Jessica Williams added 16 points. You know, the, just the, just the usual suspects over there at Laney. And then you got another uh, very good uh, wing in Jaden Hamilton. So, the, you know, that's that's a big three for them. But between Desha Benjamin, Williams, and Hamilton, they're averaging uh, it looks like about 57 points. And everyone else, you know, you got five points here, five points there, and then everyone's in the two points per game. So that, that's a big three and i mean josie they've seen them you know this is this is their fifth crack at him now and Joan bailey uh he's a, he's a, y- a younger guy he's been doing a, a really good job they've really taken it to the next level but again if you want to be considered completely elite you have to be able to slay the dragon and that is laney and josie's played him as well as anybody in the entire state so you, you got to feel you got to feel good about that, but are they going to be able to get over the hump? And we know the offense is going to run through the the, the two sisters, Tekedra Rowland and then uh, Rikeria Rowland. Tekedra averaging sixteen point eight points per game and six rebounds. Rikeria averaging uh, close to twelve points per game, and they they're big, physical looking girls, but they, they they can shoot the rock. Both of them over forty three pointers made. They are really good at shooting the ball, and uh, they can get to the. Fast on a little bit here and there too. Uh- we got Tykedra she shoots sixty seven percent from their line racar seventy five percent but that offense is definitely going to run through those two girls and they got you know they got a couple others that have hit over fifteen threes this season, so they can stretch the floor, but it's just going to be very tough, very tough for Josie I mean you get beat four times you um, i I like to think they always say it's tough to beat a team three times it 's tough to beat a team four times it's almost impossible to beat a team five times, but they're not talking about Laney on that other side of the ball there. Um, I mean, if if Josie's going to win this game, obviously they're going to have to handle the pressure and they're going to have to make some outside shots and try and slow down Daisha Benjamin. That's pretty much the recipe for success. Uh, Laney has been there, done that before. Josie has not been uh, this deep to the playoffs. I think 2004 was the last time uh, they, they made it to the uh, the final four, I believe it is. Um, so we'll we'll see how it all plays out. Josie, they they're coming off a semifinal win, uh, beat Fitzgerald 61-47. Rikeria rolling 22 points to rolling rolling 17 points. So that that's a recipe right there. When you get 30 set, 39 points between those two, you feel good about themselves. But um, yes, that that's it. Can they beat Laney? It's going to be tough.
1: And I, that's a testament we've talked about it. we've had Laney as our preseason. I think I said uh, at the very first before the season even started our way too early championship predictions. Laney and two a girls was up there uh, you You didn't want to commit all the way, but that was about if we were going to hedge bets, Laney and two a was where we'd hedge our most of our money on, and indeed they're back to the championship and it's a testament to their build. You know you talked about beating a team three or four times uh, they've done that against uh you know not a Slim Pickens Josie team, a respectable Josie team. So let's see if they can do it five times.
0: Yeah, that's number one Laney versus number three Josie in the state. So both those teams, laney has been number one all season long, and Josie, uh, they have quietly climbed their way up the ranks, and now they're looking for a loud exit to this season, trying to end it with a bang.
1: At 4 o'clock at the Macon Centerplex on Wednesday, March the 7th, it's going to be the 2A boys' final. Vidalia versus Thomasville will be tipping off, Kyle.
0: Yeah, and uh, I, I've been a, a long doubter of Thomasville. I'm 1,050% um, officially on the bandwagon. I'm on the bandwagon. They have absolutely earned their way to this championship game. You beat Swainsboro by 6 in the first round. You hold off Dublin by 12. You, you annihilate Spence like you're supposed to and then glenn hills i mean glenn hills look so good against feral they were long they have all these athletes they have all these guards you, you know i'm thinking they have every single recipe you would need to be a complete team and be able to beat a team like thomasville and they just got slapped they got slapped around in the second half 74 to 57 reggie perry i give him some some uh, some grief sometimes but he is he is He's very motivated right now. He is, he's, he's certainly making me eat my words. Uh, I'll give him credit for that. 27 points just ate up Timmy Sellers inside. I mean, that could have been Timmy's big game. Presbyterian was in to see him. Uh, I heard Timmy played pretty well, but just looking at the numbers, just six points and the guy you're probably guarding or, you know, you're, you're banging bodies with the, the, the main target that you're going to have to try and slow down puts 27 on your head. That's that's a missed opportunity for Timmy Sillers and that team. John Whitehead had 16 points in loss. I'm not sure how many uh Tim Williamson ended up with because he was so great against Therrell. Obviously, he did not have that same effect. Uh and Vontarius Woolbright had 19 points, and we were always asking. That's the one thing I've always said. Well, you got Reggie Perry who's he's gonna get his points and get his rebounds, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But who's going to be that guy that can step up beside him? Is it going to be Titus Wright? Titus Wright, I think he had a, a pretty decent de- pretty decent game, but we were always questioning who is going to be the, uh, the guard to step it up, and it was Vontarius Woolbright with that big 19-point effort. So that is what we're looking at right there with, um, with uh, Thomasville. They, they played extremely well. They've earned their way to the title game. And man oh man is it not a very great a very great uh matchup on the other side for Vidalia. Vidalia they, they survived Laney 49-45, but that game, that's that's all guards, man. That is that's all guards, and I, I've always said, you know, teams with good guards give Thomasville some trouble. I mean, shoot, let's be honest, that was last year's Thomasville team. It looks like they've been handling their business. All year long, Vidalia, they they beat Laney. We just said that. Uh, Anthony Jones had 13 points. Taj Jones had 10 points, about 7 assists. Torian Mole had 7 points. You know, they're going to have to devise a great game plan. Tommy Daly's been over there for a couple years. He's done a a really good job. Um, But, I mean, I think you're going to have to rely on Taj Jones. I think he's going to have to be very important. I mean, he's averaging 20 points per game this season. He is a, a you know a, a, a tough nose guard, five foot ten, undersized, but he's been a big time scorer since the day he stepped foot on campus. Uh, but he's going to have to get some help from his friends. It's going to be tough. He's a senior. Then pretty much their their next four or five top scorers are are all juniors. So you feel good about coming back next year. But the head honcho is Taj Jones, and he's going to have to have a great game. Uh, they're going to have to knock down a lot of outside shots. Okay, Taj Jones uh 70 he's hit 73s this this season but only at a 31 percent clip so he's a volume shooter he had listed 226 uh three-point uh, attempts so he, he shoots the shots but if he gets hot that's going to be very important for him uh he, he got to the line 133 times which is great we're looking at his free throw percentage only 58 percent from the stripe so again you're you're kind of a little shaky there uh but to beat thomasville how it was done when they got upset by barion earlier in the season i think barion hit like 12 threes on them so barion was shooting lights out and vidalia they they do have the potential they do have the the go-to guy in jones to do it but outside of him not too many too many other three-point options so it's going to be really tough for vidalia i'm definitely leaning towards thomasville in this one i just think Everything's been going in, you know, in their favor, and they've been playing extremely well. They've played a, a much more uh, difficult road to the state title than Vidalia has, who is a three seed, so you've got to give them credit. But uh, Thomasville, uh, number five in the state, they have looked phenomenal in the state playoffs
1: kyle that will conclude two a girls and boys and on wednesday we're also going to have the a public girls and boys and i think you're going to have to keep on talking for a bit more here as i guess no one wanted to talk to us about the wednesday game so we'll keep it going right into a public girls it's going to be greenville versus marion county at six o'clock
0: well well I, i know just a little bit just probably just enough to be able to talk about this one and uh everything starts with Greenville's Brittany Davis she is going to Mississippi State uh, she had a pretty nice performance in the final four I would say she she put up 47 points to beat uh, Telford County who was number one I, I believe they're number one in our latest poll beat them 73 to 62 so uh, that, that's pretty good 47 points Adriana Perdue added 10 points in that win and uh, they're they're seeing a team that they're quite familiar with and you know just harping back looking at the rankings real quick uh, our final regular season poll Greenville slipped all the way to five and Marion County rose all the way to two and the reason for that is because in the region tournament guess who knocked off Greenville quite early that was Marion County so they've done it once can they do it again 67-63 they did find a way to solve um, Brittany Davis and slow them down, uh, Greenville, and that's interesting because if you look at the two games prior to that, uh, the region tournament win, their first matchup, they lost at Greenville, 68-58, close game, and then they lost 63-62. So all these games have been um, very, very close. I mean, in that that second showdown, the 63-62 loss to Greenville, Brittany Davis had her her you know her usual big game. She had 28 points, had 12 rebounds, eight steals. Uh, pretty much doing everything in their first ma- uh, matchup. You know, I I believe it looked like it was more of the same sixty-eight fifty-eight. We just said that uh, in that game. It looks like she finished with twenty-nine points. Uh, same thing. You know, ten rebounds. And then in the in the region tournament, when they finally got clipped by Marion County, sixty-seven sixty-three uh let's see if we got it here she was you know she got her 38 points she got her 38 points was a wrecking ball again you know she gets to the foul line a lot 38 points 14 rebounds seven steals so you know she's always going to get her points is what i'm trying to surmise here it's going to be important to see who are the uh the supporting cast that can can really try and help them uh get this championship and really step up because we know it's going to be britney davis uh but who is going to help out and it was purdue the other day and they're going up against marion county and marion county they uh they handled their business 45 40 they beat terrell county uh which is a really really good game uh jenaya double doubled 12 points 12 rebounds and Tori myers had eight points and five rebounds and uh you know Marion County is very big. They have a lot of size. We've harped on this a lot. Um, the Whitley sisters, Ansley and Ashley, both about six foot one. Myers, who we just mentioned, she's six foot. Um, Crowell's five foot eleven. Like this is a very tall team, and I think that might be a reason why they they've been able to beat greenville you know it was just the one time and Brittany had monster monster performances but they do have some big bodies that they can throw at her and uh you know fran mcpherson she wins everywhere she goes and uh she's gonna have an opportunity to hang a banner up at marion County, Uh, but it's gonna be obviously you know you gotta try and slow down britney davis
1: Kyle, into a public, the boys, the nightcap for Wednesday. It's going to be Montgomery County versus Wilkinson County.
0: Oh, my goodness. I don't know if you saw how that game all all played out and ended up, but what a mess, what a disaster that one was for uh, Central Talboton in their loss to Wilkinson. Uh, just a recap for you. Uh, the final score of that one was 61-60, and that was because Central Talboton had the lead. Uh, one of their players inexplicably, there was about five seconds left or so, six seconds left, inexplicably on the inbounds, tried to go for a steal, and obviously he overruns a steal. The inbound pass gets to Raquan Smith. He races the length of the floor and lays it up and in at the buzzer to send that gym into a frenzy, a heartbreaking loss for Central Talbotton, But again, it is part of that magic. What makes good teams from great teams, what separates them, is just finding ways to pull games out of your butt, finding ways to win close games. And that's what Upson Lee does. That's what Wilkinson County does. That's what all these prestigious programs do. Wilkinson County hasn't won, what, I don't know, seven, eight, state titles they haven't won them just by luck i mean they know how to win these games and they did it again to beat central talboton and now they're seeing montgomery county who beat calhoun county 80 to 78 but i don't know i mean montgomery county they're pretty much they're all guards i mean shaw robinson had 22 points devon coghlin their leading scorer had 18 points Jalil wilson 14 Derek williams eleven. I mean, they put up points. They put up a ton of points, but Wilkinson, they got some big dudes. Tylen Grable, uh, a, a very big physical football player that can control the paint. Uh, you got some other really good guards, Jalen Lamar, um, Devin Jones. They just got guys that have been there before, and Montgomery County has not been there before. But they have been playing extremely well, and you know, they're going to have those shooters. They're going to have to knock down a lot of outside shots, but – Wilkinson, that's a team that wants to get it done defensively where whereas Montgomery County they want to you know run and gun free flying offense. Uh usually defense wins out and it's not going to be a game that I, I can promise you it's not it's not going to be a game scored in the 80s which uh would really favor Montgomery. Montgomery wants it 70 plus. Wilkinson, uh they're going to have this one 50-60s and if it's not if it's uh, I'll put the magic number at I'll put the magic number at 60. Um, if this game 60 or below, it is definitely in Wilkinson's favor. Now, if it's, I'll, I'll change it, 65, 65 and below, definitely Wilkinson's favor. 65 and above, I'm leaning towards Montgomery County in this one. Uh, it's going to be two contrasting styles. Like I said, Montgomery County, if they can get up and run and you know beat beat Wilkinson in transition, they'll have a shot at this one. But Wilkinson is just so good and you know just so physically strong and mentally strong. Uh, they're going to try and grind this one out.
1: That takes care of all the games at the Macon Centerplex on Wednesday, March the 7th. Now, on Thursday, March the 8th, Kyle, we're going to have 3A tip-off at Macon, two and four, girls and boys respectively. And you were able to catch up with Travis Judan, who talked to you about GAC versus Jonathan Savannah on the girls' side and GAC versus Jenkins Savannah on the boys' side. GAC can go for a clean sweep of 3A here and send two savannah teams with a long bus ride back home
0: yeah travis jiao was nice enough to talk with us from the savannah morning news over there and he gave us a a great insight on both of these programs these savannah schools Uh, obviously over here in the uh metro atlanta area you don't see too much of these guys and travis does a great job of showing us the way and uh
1: breaking down what we can expect in the state title games without further ado here's a conversation between kyle and travis
0: Joining us to break down some Class 3A state championship action because he's got two teams from the Savannah area. We have Travis Jadon of Savannah Morning News. How are you doing today, Travis? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, man. GAC, uh, GAC is number one in the state on the girls' side. They've, they've been rolling all season long. And then Johnson uh, has been a top 10 team all year long as well. Uh, I think Johnson's seen, uh, some pretty good competition in their non-region schedule, and they have more losses than last year, but, uh, they played a good schedule. But coming into the state tournament, I think GAC, just like GAC on the, uh, the boys side, I think they've seen a little bit tougher. I mean, they did have to, to beat Beach. They got their revenge on them, beat them by 10 points, and they, they dealt with Franklin County, and they, they pulled one out there. I think they were trailing a little bit, and they came back and won 49-43. And, and Johnson, uh, they picked up a nice 43-33 win over Tattnall County and right before that they did beat Lovett and the All-American and Jenna Brown winning 52-46 to so could you give us a little uh, little insight on what Johnson likes to do and what you've seen from them this season
2: Johnson um, has been real good all season and just real solid really for the last two plus years um, their head coach Brandon Lindsay is, is as intense and, and hands on as I've seen from any basketball coach a lot of coaches tend to leave some of the fundamental coaching to their assistants and and stuff like that. But Lindsay is as hands-on as it gets, and it shows because his team has his fingerprints all over it. Um, they were led yesterday by Jemiah Cutter and Jasmine Thompson with 14 and 16 apiece. Johnson's best player, Bubbles Williams, had an off-game shooting the ball, only three points with no field goals. Um, she still managed to contribute with six boards and three assists. Uh, she was dealing with the death in the family coming into the game, so um, you know, understandable that she would her mind maybe a little bit elsewhere. Um, what's, what's interesting about Johnson Kyle, is that that a lot of teams when they make it to the state title game, like Johnson did last year, and or you know, let's face it, they were trounced by Beach in that title game. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of teams will use that and they'll talk about it as motivation and trying to get revenge and, you know, all those, all those cliches. Johnson is not doing that. They, they have separated this year from last year completely. And, and basically want nothing to do with talking about avenging last year's title game loss. Um, I think Lindsay, their head coach knows that they had their hands full with GAC. Um, uh, haven't seen GAC, haven't really got a chance to look into what they'll bring, but from, from all accounts, um, Johnson will have their hands full, and it'll probably be their
0: toughest matchup in the last two years. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a good point. And, I mean, GAC, their their best player went down with a, another ACL injury, you know, pretty much kind of early in the season. I think she only played in 10 games. Roden Benton, who's going to Auburn, who's their dynamic guard, their leading scorer, their leading everything. She's been hurt, but it's pretty nice when you have three other Division One players that pick up the slack. Taylor Sutton's been averaging close to 17 points per game. Uh, she is going to Middle Tennessee State. You have uh, Caria Reynolds, who is going to Hofstra, averaging 12 points, uh, nine rebounds per game. You have uh, Mary Martha Turner. Uh, she's going to Wofford. I believe she posted a triple-double in the state tournament. Uh, she's averaging 10 points, 8 rebounds, couple blocks here and there. So GAC, uh, that's a team that has a lot of options. They have a, a good point guard in Kennedy Williams, who's been really dishing things out. Um, you know, I, I think Johnson, uh, Bubbles is obviously – you know, she's, hopefully she gets back right, you know, get, gets her head, you know, everything all situated over there. But she's gonna have to have a good game. I know she is a, she's a bomber from deep. She can be, uh, fearless and she can put up some shots and when they're dropping, uh, that's, that's big for them. And I know Cutter's another very good, uh, versatile player for them. But someone I think that could uh could make a difference. I mean, Gianna Copeland is huge and super long, and you know I think I, I haven't seen her too much, but from people I've talked to, it sounds like she's gotten a little bit better and a little bit better every single year. She was extremely raw when she first got there. She's averaging points, you know, six point six rebounds and eight blocks per game. Is is she still in the lineup? Is she healthy? Is she still going to be a factor? Do you think?
2: Oh, uh, she is definitely a factor, and, and you're right. Over the last over the last four years, she's a senior now. Um. Copeland 6-4 senior center, averaging, I think, like eight blocks a game. So that's impressive in its own right. She's gotten better over the last four years. Uh, at first she seemed to not really know how she fit into a, to a really talented Johnson roster. And now she's coming to her own, um, and it's really found her role. Her role, unfortunately for Johnson is not really providing a lot of scoring, but I think, um, in, in this game against GAC coming up, on Thursday, Johnson's going to need that third party to, to step in and be a 10 to 15 point score. They have Jasmine Thompson, who's, who's averaging 11 and eight a night. Um, they'll need her to give them at least that um, if they hope to, to supplement uh, Bubbles, Williams and Cutter. Um, Copeland can be that that. Inside, she just really hasn't been the threat on the offensive end inside. But yeah, on the defensive end, she's as disruptive as anyone in the state.
0: Yeah, she's gonna she's gonna have her hands full in her you know in her own right dealing with uh, Reynolds going to Hofstra inside and some for of sure. these these forwards you know Mary Martha Turner. Uh, but I, I think that she could be a key if she can kind of slow down any second chance baskets or any uh, points around the rim. That could bode pretty well for Johnson. Uh, I mean, we're looking at. Uh, just looking at GAC's schedule, I mean, you kinda had to throw it out the window just a little bit, maybe just the the a uh, margin of victory since Benton was healthy, but I mean they beat Norcross by thirteen, they beat Southwest DeCab by like forty points, beat McEachin by eleven. Like they were they were thumping some teams and Benton going down with the injury, they've they've continued to roll but you know the one thing is GAC they they haven't been in this this big title game and Johnson is is very experienced and you, you said it Brandon Lindsay uh, he's a very good coach and uh, he knows what it takes to win a state championship or at least be right there and with the spotlight on you. Right, and so Johnson, you know, if we're being honest ourselves, roster wise, then GAC would definitely come in as a favorite.
2: But mm-hmm. it's like you say, Kyle, there there's something to be said about a team that that. It's on a big stage like this, and it's just ho hum. It's just another another night at the office because Johnson, having faced Beach, um, a perennial state power, as you know, a bunch of times in this city, those matchups can get them ready for the mm-hmm. state playoffs. And then having been in the state playoffs and know, state title game the last two years, where well, they're going on there, where well, this will be their was it tenth state playoff game in the last two years? Is that right?
0: That, that sounds right Peach? to me. They, they've been in there a ton.
2: Yeah, so, so that, you know, if there's a, something that could lean Johnson's way, it's definitely the experience. Um, the stage won't be too big for them. Uh, GAC just might be too big for
0: them yeah yeah well i i 'm looking forward to seeing this one it 's always fun seeing you know teams that never see each other play i mean last year 's championship game when we saw Beach demolish Johnson and they played for like five times you know i'm not i 'm not too keen on all the rematches. we it looks like we have a bunch of rematches in a lot of the classifications, but I do like seeing you know, an Atlanta area team, you know, Gwinnett County, me and a uh, uh, Savannah team, which you always know, these teams come from Savannah are going to be just as hard-nosed and tough as it comes. They might not have all the, the quote-unquote, you know, rankings and stars and Division one players, but uh they get the job done over there on the coast. Uh, yeah, the thing
2: about these Savannah teams, when they go to Macon and Atlanta, it's not hard to tell which
3: teams are from Savannah, which teams are, they there's just a
2: different style and a different uh, – You know, a different way that teams, girls and boys, go about it down here. And that's probably, like you say, because they don't have all the four stars and five stars coming out of here. But but there's a a different brand of basketball down here.
0: On the boys' side, we have number three in the state, GAC. Uh, they knocked off Johnson seventy five sixty one, and then just recently Morgan County seventy three seventy one. They were the one seed out of Region Seven, playing Region Three number two seed number five in the state. Jenkins, the Warriors beat West Side 52 fifty two forty nine. And we'll start on the Jenkins side of things. What did you see from Jenkins in their win over West Side? And can you give us a, a little bit of a summary of what you've seen all season long from them?
2: Yeah. So yesterday, Jenkins. Um, you know, did what they set out to do by winning, but it wasn't the cleanest brand of basketball. You know, to be honest, that's kind of been the story for Jenkins all year long, uh, you know, in the winning, but not winning by playing your best basketball. And so there's something to be said about that. Uh, yesterday was Lamont Sands and Trey Mays leading the way with 14 or 15, uh, respectively. And then Ty Scott with 10 and Cy Fisher with nine. Uh, Jenkins got out. To a hot start early on, which is kind of in the opposite of their mo. Usually, they get out to a slow start and, and tend to work their way back into the game. But they, you know, they went through long stretches in the third quarter uh, without scoring into the early fourth quarter, um, but hung on at the end. And, and for anyone that was, was at the game or that read about it or, or saw a video of it, the technical foul at the end of the game for Westside Macon was really the turning point.
0: And that was what, they had somebody, too many people on the court or something like that happen? So,
2: yeah, so, they, um, at the end of the game with, with just over a minute left, there had been, uh, a few timeouts by each team in a short span, so it was kind of getting choppy. There wasn't a lot of game flow. And, uh, Westside came out of the timeout with six men on the floor, and a lot of people in the stands saw it, um, at the media table, we didn't notice it right away, but, uh, Everyone, a lot of people seem to notice it besides west side making. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as the ball was inbounded, the referees called them for it. Trey Mays went to the line and sank those two free throws, and, and the rest was history.
0: <laughs> Let's take a, a quick gander at GAC, who they're going to be matching up with. GAC beat Morgan right. County, seventy-three seventy-one. They hit about 13 threes. Hunter McIntosh is a very good, uh, a high academic guard who's, you know, I think he's unofficial visit to Stanford and schools like that, but he had 30 points in that game. Ben Shepherd had 16, Roy Dixon 11. So – GAC's been paced by the backcourt all season long, and you got the big Michigan uh, football commit Chris Hinton inside that does a lot of the dirty work around there. And, uh, you know, GAC, I would say they've had a a little bit of a tougher road than Jenkins. I mean, they had to go through Johnson who Jenkins definitely knows how good Johnson can be, and then beating Morgan County. uh, GAC does have some momentum heading into this one.
2: For sure. They seem seem to be battle-tested now. I I saw them play yesterday. I haven't seen them play besides that, so... um, Yesterday, they seemed to be ultra poised against Morgan County, in which a lot of teams, as you know, are not poised against Morgan County, and understandably so. Um, but yeah, as you said, they, they seem to know how to play together. The backcourt, um, like I say, was just poised the whole time under pressure. Uh, Chris Henton contributed when he needed to and was just a body inside. Um, it's right when his hands touched the ball. There's not a lot of loose balls coming off of Chris Hinton's hands. Mm -hmm. Um, So Jenkins is going to have their handful, like you said, GAC is definitely battle-tested coming into the game. But uh, I think the matchup, if Jenkins is looking to comp GAC to somebody, I I do think that Johnson is a a pretty good comp and that their backcourt is good and then they have one solid guy inside. Um, so, you know, if Bacaw, Bryan and company are looking for somebody to compare JSC to I think that's a good
0: one. Yeah, and Jenkins, you mentioned they haven't played like extremely awesome like their full potential great basketball right. yet this year. And they they've been living right. They've had some close calls. Cook County, I think they only beat them by about three points and they've been on the yeah. road for a couple of these games and I mean, but once we get to the, the big stage, Bakari Bryant is a winner, and uh, he's done it once before, at least, and uh, he, he has a shot to do it again, and David Eden, he, he hasn't been there, at least in uh, in Georgia. I mean, he's been at GAC for maybe two, going on three years now. Uh, he, he's got the, the, the program going in the right direction. It was a little bit of a, a bumpy start his first time there, you know, first season, he a couple players transferred out, and... A little bit of this, a little bit of that, but he's got the right guys in his system, and he's got to compose, uh, a composed a backcourt that really can can handle the type of pressure I think Jenkins is going to try and throw at them.
2: Well, if GSC is poised and calm on the floor, their coach is certainly the opposite. This <laughs> guy uh, was just into every play yesterday. It's, it's refreshing to see. Bakari Bryan, obviously, you know, is the same way. So it'll be an entertaining state championship, at least at the very least, on the sidelines. Um, and, and just to touch on what you said about Jenkins, um, I think we can attribute the um, you know, not perfect player or to the level that we expect from Jenkins usually, um, to to the amount of transfers they have and, mm-hmm. and they've they've talked about it all year that they're meshing and that they're coming together and running off the floor, which is easier said than done. Last night after the game, Bakari Bryant said that uh, this is a quote. This quote, this may be the most dysfunctional state finalist team I've ever coached. So he's coached three of those in the last six years. And so he knows, they know that the, you know, they're all trying to accomplish one goal, but they don't have three, four years' experience playing together like some of these other schools.
0: Who would you say would be one of the X factors for Jenkins if they want to beat GAC? You know, one guy, I haven't. To be honest with you, I haven't seen Jenkins play this year, but one guy I'm seeing who stepped up just the other night, Lamont Sams, He's about six foot seven and can block some shots. I think he's going to be pretty important to trying to negate anything if GAC tries to attack the basket.
2: Oh, definitely. And, and when Jenkins has the ball in the offensive end, if if they want to clear Chris Hinton out of the lane, which is going to be tough to do, um, then they're going to need Lamont Sams to step out and pull him away from the basket. Now, if he steps out and pulls hitting away from the basket, but can't make mid-range jump shots, well, that's kind of you know not helping the cause. So, Lamont Sands will definitely be a key. He was hurt late in the game last night um, with an injury. We still haven't heard um, you know what the severity of it is, but it was I think it was an ankle or a calf, or that's something to keep an eye on going into the game. Um, for for me, the X factor for Jenkins has been and will continue to be uh, Tyrone Scott because he is the guy. Um, that has the ability to go off for 20, 25-plus. Hasn't done it recently, um, but, but if he can do that and then allow Fisher, Mays, and Sam's to contribute, then I, I like Jenkins'
0: chances. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. That's going to be very in- uh, very important about Sam's health. And, Travis, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Okay, Carl. Thank you. I'll see you on Thursday. Sounds good. And then on the nightcap, Kyle, 6 p.m., 5A girls final, Buford. They're not going to be playing at home. It's not going to be at Buford Arena. It's going to be at Macon, but it's going to be the Buford girls versus the Flowery Branch girls. This is another rematch. We've seen it a while. These teams are familiar with each other, and we were lucky enough to get Travis Coxworth on the podcast. And you talk to him for a bit, Kyle.
0: Yeah, Travis, he's uh a— pretty much the unofficial uh, statistician, unofficial official statistician for Flowery Branch. So he's seen a lot of those matchups. He's he's seen Flowery Branch battle Buford and come up short six times over the past two years. So I kind of pick his brain to see, okay, if, If Flowery Branch is going to do the quote-unquote unthinkable, how are they going to get it done? I know they have horses with Tanaya Worth and uh, Caroline Wysocki who came up massively big against Harris County, and we talk about that in our conversation. But how are they going to get it done? So I just wanted to hear from a Flowery Branch perspective, how do you beat the big-time favorite, the Buford Wolves? We might not know. They haven't had an answer for them in two years, but we will find out later this week.
1: And now here's the rest of your conversation with Travis.
0: In Class 5A, girls, we have familiar foes. Region 8 is well represented yet again. Last year we saw it on the boys' side. Now we have it in the girls' side. Region 8, number one seed, Buford, the number one ranked team in the state, going up against the number two seed in Region 8. That is number five in the state. Flowery Branch and with us to break it down, is the unofficial statistician for the Flowery Branch basketball program. That is Mr. Travis Coxworth. Mr. Coxworth, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Kyle. How about yourself? I am doing okay, but I'm having to find out. I want to know, can Flowery Branch finally get over the hump? Because let's make no bones about it. Since they joined regions last year, Buford has absolutely owned Flowery Branch. I will write it off right quick. I'll I'll tell you right now, Flowery Branch is 0-6 against Buford. That is the one team that is keeping them from elite status. Let's date it back to December 16th of 2016, 53-44, Buford wins. Their next meeting, 51-46. Then in the region championship, 53-38. So that's last year. This year, 58-48. Their second meeting was a blowout in favor of Buford, 69 38, and then in the region championship again, 49 41. So, a couple close games there, and, uh, uh you know, they, uh, you know, two blowouts in there, and you've been on hand for many of these battles. Um, what, what have you seen from Flowery Branch over the past two seasons? And if they really want to finally get over the hump and, uh, you know, I guess I'll, I'll take 0-6 and, and I'll, I'll, I'll take 1-6 if that one's the state championship. What is it going to take for the Lady Falcons to get over the hump and win the state championship? That's
4: right. We're not worried about the past currently. We're only focused on what we can control in the
0: next upcoming game. So if it's just that one, that's all that matters. Right. But
4: yes, it's going to take a complete game from the girls. So far, when we played Buford, we've only played maybe two great quarters, and then we relapsed in one or two. So Buford's a great team, and it's going to take all four quarters of basketball to beat them.
0: That is a, a, a good point. I know that they, they, you know they they play them close, and they kind of run out of gas. And uh, to take it back a second, I mean, Fire Branch, they were. They were down, I think, like twenty-three to eight to Harris County. They came back and won seventy-two to fifty-five. Caroline Wysocki, who I think is going to be a very important piece at that guard position, had a career-high twenty-six points. Ashley Woodruff had sixteen points. To Worth. Uh, she added twenty points in that win. Uh, and then looking at Buford, sixty to forty-six. Deasia Mara was in foul trouble. She was held to just six points. Audrey Weiner. Uh, going to Air Force had 20 points. Michigan State signee Tori Osmond had 18 points. Now, Tania Worth, she is obviously extremely important. She's going to Alabama. She's their miss, miss do it all for Flowery Branch. Um, what What can you see uh, Flowery Branch trying to do to get her involved and, and make her a, a really big factor? Because if they're going to win this game, uh, the stars are going to really have to shine. Yes,
4: everything goes through T. Tonight, tonight as we like to call it. But, uh, yes, she, her and Osmond, the region championship, went head-to-head, back-and-forth, and it was really entertaining to watch. But in the Harris County game, she got in foul trouble early, and we had a lean on Caroline Wysaki and Ashley Woodruff to step up. And they did a great job leading the team, along with Lexi Sinkamy to push through that game.
5: And, uh, yeah. It's going to be tough against Buford's length to get some clean shots with our guards. Mm-hmm. So spacing
4: and running some different screens, getting the guards open, is going to be key. And staying with Buford.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Buford does have those really big guards, and you know they're physical. Tori Osmond's about six foot or so. Uh, Weiner, she's 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 you know physically built, and she can hit hit those threes. And Gene Durden's just a master at at coaching these especially in the playoffs. I mean, this is the quote-unquote money season. This is where you, you cash your checks. This is where you win all the big games, and they run that dribble-drive offense of perfection, and they're just so good, and they can get after you and, and, and press and, and do, do, do things like that. But, you know, Flurry Branch does have some good guards, and Lexi Sinkami, you mentioned her, Wysocki, um Tania Worth, that, that forward position uh what do you think about inside i know they, they have some size uh, inside that could probably play a, a bit of a role ashley Locke, the big six foot three freshman uh how has she played against Buford in the games you've seen has has she been able to uh, make much of an impact down low
4: she's done a great job on the board she really has showing maturity throughout uh her young freshman season i think she's averaged right around 10 boards a game against Buford. so Keeping her out of foul trouble is going to be key, as we don't have a ton of depth in that position. Sometimes we'll have to slide a guard down in that position when she goes out of the game.
0: And do you think um, it's probably a silly question? But uh, losing six straight times, they've they've never beaten Buford, but they've never played Buford on on the the grand biggest stage and. They say it's tough to beat a team twice, it's tough to beat a team three times, it's tough to beat a team, well, hell, in one regular season, it's extremely tough to do it four times. We saw the Buford boys uh, do it to Cedar Shoals last year, but do you think maybe maybe this could somehow turn out to uh, even psychologically in the back of Buford's head, like we beat these guys so many times, could it be maybe Flowery Branch feeling like they're playing possum and saying, hey, we're, we're playing with house money here? Uh, we haven't been able to solve them yet before. Maybe maybe they take us just 1% uh, lighter than uh, expected, and we're able to knock down some shots and stun them. Yeah, with the schools being separated by only a couple miles, I think that rivalry,
4: there's not going to be any overthinking that anybody can sneak up on anyone. Each uh, team knows the offenses, the out-of-bounds plays. They're going to run for the most part. So we're going to give our best shot. They're going to give their best shot. We'll see if that one time will happen.
0: Yeah, you're right about that, and just uh, I think I think there will be
4: a little nerves on both ends, uh-huh. just the the stage of the game and everything. But as of late, that we've been pretty uh, good on a second half team, so I think it's a single digit game around the half. I'm feeling pretty confident that they can pull it
0: out. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see how it all plays out, but yeah, very important players. We we touched on Buford's two big ones, but then they got Tate Walters, Kaya Styles has had some uh, some nice games down the stretch. Uh, Uh, Ebony Grant, uh, another physical player. So a lot of pieces that Gene Durden has in store. But uh, we'll see how it all plays out. And, uh, Coxworth, my man, thank you for coming on and breaking down some Flowery Branch versus Buford girls basketball. No problem. I appreciate you having me, Kyle. Actually, Travis, before I let you go, I know you had a golden nugget of information and you have a magic number that could be very crucial in deciding who wins this state championship. Give it to me.
4: Magic number for the game is going to be 50 points. This season, Buford's lowest point total has been 48 points. And Buford has only given up 50 points three times in their this season. And each of those were their three losses against the top teams, Collins Hill, Norcross, and Buffjoy. So it
0: should be a barn burner, first one to 50. Let's see if they can pull it out. Yeah, you you heard it here first, Travis Coxworth breaking it down and just looking at what Flowery Branch has been able to do. 48 points in their first loss to them, 38 in the second loss, and then 41 again. So 50 is the magic number, and Travis, thank you again, sir. Thank you
1: and now for the nightcap the last game to be played at macon on thursday march the 8th it's going to be at 8 p.m between miller grove and warner robbins warner robbins was consistently our number two in the poll behind buford buford got upset a couple rounds back so now it's going to be miller grove versus warner robbins warner robbins a middle georgia team and we have kawasi reeves from hype south media who you were able to catch up with kyle
0: Yes, most definitely. When you talk about Middle Georgia teams, nobody knows them better than Kawasi. He is the absolute man, hypesouth.com. Check him out. He is he's a guru of Middle Georgia and I I am very lucky to be his friend and uh colleague and just, you know, picking his brain. He he's known these Warner Robins kids for a while and we discussed how Warner Robins and Miller Grove they have a little bit of a, a past in uh the state playoffs. So uh checking up with kawasi to hear what the pulse is of the people over there in middle Georgia. In class 5A, we have a state championship bout between number 1 seed out of region 1, the number 2 ranked team in the state, the Warner Robins Demons going up against Miller Grove, the 3 seed out of region 5, they're ranked number 4 in the state. So they've been uh they've been road dogs this whole entire trip and who better to break it down with us than Kowasi Reeves of Hype South Media? Kawassi, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Of course. And anytime we have a Middle Georgia team. Uh, obviously, the first person that comes to mind in that Maconish area is Mr. Reeves here. And let's just start, you know, jump right into it. Warner Robbins won seventy-seven fifty-seven over Clark Central. Uh, they really took it to him. Nelson Phillips with 32 points. Travon Williams 13. Jaden Norman 12 points. But what have you seen from the Warner Robbins, uh, this team all season long? What do you think their uh, odds are in this state championship game? I think,
5: uh, <laughs> They're pretty locked in. Um the other guys, uh, the, the role players, are uh, Jaden Norman, uh Trayvon Williams, Chap Dawson, you know, all of those guys are are, are chipping in their contributions when uh, earlier earlier in the year I think they were standing around and and sometimes they were caught watching, you know, Nelson Phillips and Jacob you know, go to work. Uh but here lately, you know, towards the end of the season and especially in the playoffs other guys have really started to step up and contribute. Um, and uh, the tribute. and uh, so that's that's what I see. I, I like their chances right now. That, they're real locked in. Um, had a man from a media day prior to the season. And I know that they were real, real upset about the way things ended last year against Buford, and they were locked in. It was it a state championship and bust. Uh, they they've set themselves up to kind of fulfill that right there.
0: Yeah, I I saw him play a a couple times, especially at the Lake City Classic, and they were very impressive. And, you know, the player that has really taken his game to the next level has to be Jacoby Owens. I mean, last year he was just a a, a hard-playing, just super energetic, great athletic point guard for Warner Robins, but he didn't really have a consistent jump shot. But, man, I saw him banging about eight threes against Aquinas, something like that. I mean, he he can really stroke it now. And when he gets hot, I mean, he's just such a handful to try and just – in general, stay in front of. But if he's able to knock down some twenty-five footers from deep and stretch out that defense, that just makes him and Warner Robbins that much more dangerous.
5: Yes, sir. I totally agree. And um, he started to come on a lot uh towards the end of the travel season. You know, um, last season with his jump shot, and I, I know that was an area of focus for him because, um, like you said, last season he was kind of inconsistent there. But you know, he seemed to, um you know, he's gotten it together and. You know, he's a heck of a player, man. Someone's going to get a stud in
0: him. Yeah, he is definitely a easily top five available point guard in the state of Georgia, but they're going to be going up against a team that does have some good guards. Miller Grove, uh, Maurice Harvey, a junior, he's been leading the team in scoring at about 13 points per game. Lorenzo Anderson, another solid scorer at 12 points per game. Terrence Edwards has come on strong as a a sophomore, but uh, a key battle is going to actually, I I feel like it's going to come inside with, you know, Warner Robins, they have Jamel Dillard, he's a, you know, he's a a physical bruiser inside, cleans the glass, does the dirty work, but He's going to have his hands full with a Jermon Clark and um, a Kevin Page, another big six-foot-eight center. And I think those two guys uh, are going to really test uh, how physical and how well Warner Robins is going to be able to block out and score around the basket. Okay. I know,
5: uh, yeah, these, these two teams, man, they, they have a lot of history. Mm-hmm. uh in the playoffs, I know they faced each other, uh, some in previous years, now deep in the playoffs. So, um, I, I know it should be a battle, you know, with the history that they have. Um, I think Miller Grove, well, I think it's been back and forth. Miller Grove and Warren Robinson, I think they've
1: both beaten each other in the uh, playoffs. So, uh, mm-hmm.
5: it should, it should be a dandy. Um, you know, what, what, what's your, uh,
0: what are your chances of a uh, Miller Grove win? What do you think? You know, you, you just hit on it right right quick with that history. I mean, back in 2014-15, it was Warner Robbins that did the deed and denied uh, Miller Grove a, a seventh straight championship when they beat them 63-57 in overtime. So there there is definitely history between these two. Now, Miller Grove, I saw them play very, very early in the season. I mean, everything has changed since then. Uh, they weren't very deep. I wasn't too impressed, but... They are playing good basketball. Now, they slipped to the three seed in Region 5, a tough region, but I heard they, they were missing a couple starters with the flu, which a lot of teams have battled the flu, so that is something to take into account. But they're rolling. They won a a, a tough game against a Hiram team uh, that was all you know a defensive-minded group. But Miller-Grove, uh they, they, they scored just enough points, 54-41 to 41, they won that one. Harvey had 11, TJ Stargell had 10, and Edwards had 10. So they, they've gone up against some good defense. Teams. I mean, for Miller Grove, I know they have some good guards, some electric guards, and they have seen very good competition. But you can't you can't put it past Warner Robins. They've seen the best of the best as well. They've played the Graysons. They've played the Ups and Leads. They they've really challenged themselves. Um, I think it's going to be a really good game. I think uh, defensively, that's where this game's going to be won and lost. But. The one thing I saw with Warner Robins, you know, when they're going right, they're going right. They're, they're great. I mean, Nelson Phillips is knocking down jump shots. Jacoby Owens is doing what he does, and they have all those great role players. But sometimes I mean it's not often. They didn't lose many games this year, Warner Robin, so they only have three losses. So you don't see it often. But especially when I watch them play against Newton, you know, and even a little bit against Upson Lee. Once there's you know a couple you know, they go down maybe six or seven points, and they're not really used to going down. And sometimes they can get, get just a little careless with the ball and kind of kick it around. And sometimes it it, it can snowball and I, I felt like it snowballed against Newton, even though Newton was definitely a, a very good team i think that's something that warner Robins is going to have to see because they haven't faced too much adversity i mean they've they've been taking care of their business for a majority of the season but if it's a close game with about three minutes left in the fourth quarter uh, i'm very interested to see how the demons respond and are they going to keep their composure especially if they're down like i just said maybe four or six points do they have that in them to keep it all together and uh, make the plays down the stretch to get the job done
5: Great point, but I, I want to bring up one last important point uh, about this game. This year, they will be at the Micken
0: Coliseum, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to play huge for, for Warren
5: Robbins with you know, only having to come you know, 15, 20 minutes down the road. So that fan base, I know is going to be there. I think they're going to ride that wave. And uh, it, it just it's, it just seems like a perfect storm for for Warren Robbins right now, um, and I you know I think with you know them just being able to play that game pretty much at home, you know I think that's going to be a huge factor in this game, and uh, it, it's one of the reasons uh, a big reason why I kind of give them a edge.
0: That is a great point, and we will see how it all plays out Thursday, March eighth, the primetime showdown at eight p.m. at the Macon Centerplex. Miller Grove versus Warner Robbins. Kowasi Reeves, thank you so much for joining us today and providing us with your insight.
1: Thanks for having me, Kyle. I appreciate it, brother. That takes care of half of the state championships, and all of Macon. Now we move all the way up north into the metro area to the Georgia Institute of Technology McCamish Pavilion on Friday, March the 9th. The first game there, 2 p.m. It's going to be the A Private Girls Final. Two teams we've been talking about, two of the three teams, I should say, we've been talking about all year. Holy Innocence versus Wesleyan, tipping off in the Girls A Private Final. And what do you think is going to happen, Kyle?
0: Well... You know, we need to date it back a little bit and just see how these two teams have met. I mean, Wesleyan and Holy Innocence, they play each other every single year, it seems like. And uh, to no surprise, they are meeting yet again. Uh, very impressive fashion how they did it. I mean, the way that Wesleyan just wrecked St. Francis was, you know, astounding. Obviously, you know, I, I feel like they did have the X and O's advantage. Um as far as the height and athletes, that was 100%. You can't make any bones about it, no doubt about it, that it was definitely in St. Francis' favor. But I, I tweeted something out. I mean, the deeper you go into the postseason, like, okay, you can slide by with having great players, and I'm not, I'm not trying to knock on St. Francis. I'm just saying in general, you can slide by with great players and blah, blah, blah. But the deeper you go into the state tournament, the coaching on the sidelines gets that much more important, and uh, I think we saw a little bit of that there. Uh, I mean, Wesleyan, no slouch. I mean, they got two Division One players in Amaya Register going to Old Dominion and Southern West going to Furman, so they they have some talent. But uh, the way they just destructed destructed them was uh was wildly wildly impressive, and the the final score there was seventy one to forty nine. Wesleyan really took it to them. Um, they were ranked number three in the state. St. Francis was number two in the state. But seventy-one forty-nine. A.C. Carter, who is just so versatile, so versatile. She's going to be so huge in this, uh, this championship game coming up. She had 21 points, Southern West 16 points, and Callie Weaver stepped up big with 13. And then also the freshman Page Lions with 10. And then taking a gander at Holy Innocence, I mean, they had the, the easier side uh it was pretty close stratford hung around and then they were just too big at the end i think jillian hong she might have flirted with a triple double i don't have her rebounds and block totals but she had 18 points uh she is a uh i believe she's a freshman um so she's just been you know she really came on strong and she can really affect these games and she has really locked locked down the paint this season uh for holy innocence uh, so she had a great game inside. Uh, they also got 12 points from Rachel um, Subtle, who came on uh, quite strong. Uh, so they're they're setting up for a, a big time matchup. But you know, let's let's just look at the history between these two teams. And I want I want to take it back to last year. And last year, you know, this is how it's been though. Holy Innocence has usually dominated the regular season games, but when when money's on the line uh wesleyan finds a way last year holy innocence won 61 54 81 74 then they got to the region tournament wesleyan beat them 59 50 and then of course uh looking at the championship game last year holy innocence was up the entire game and then wesleyan comes out of nowhere their only lead was for the last minute and 56 seconds and they stunned holy innocence 51 to 48 the Golden Bears were up 17 points at one point, and it just all crumbled. Now, a lot of those Wesleyan girls are gone. The McDonald's All-American, Michaela Coombs, she's at uh, UConn now. Natalie Armstrong, the, the big force inside, she is gone. But a lot of those Holy Innocence girls are still back and they're going to have a lot to say about what happens in this state championship game this year. But let's fast forward it to this season and how they've both done against each other. And, you know, more of the same so far. It's been a clean sweep for Holy Innocence, 48 to 34 at Wesleyan their first meeting, 69 to 49. They blew them out their second meeting and got a little bit closer in that region championship Fifty four to forty seven and we, we we know about holy innocence. It's it's gonna start with uh the the physicality and the, the forward combo forward and combo guard. When you got uh Kayla Hubbard who's going to Georgia, uh she's she's just uh, just so skilled and so agile for her physical size. Candy Suttle, who is going to Penn, she's going to have to have a big game. Uh, Looking at what they did in the state championship game last year, Suttle had a really good game, had 16 points, 13 rebounds, but 12 of those came in the first half, and then Hubbard had 14 points. Um, So, I mean, they've been there, they've done that before, but can they get over the hump and beat Wesleyan when it really matters? Uh, We'll see. Uh, sudden west she had eight points in that championship game last year but again I think A.C. Carter is going to be the one. If Wesleyan wants to, you know, do it again, to Holy Innocence and break their heart again, A.C. Carter is extremely good at about I don't know, five foot ten, and she's just I feel like she's positionless. She can just do everything on the court: work the high post, drive, shoot the jump shot, rebound, pass. Uh, so good. And another player to keep an eye on. Um, I'm thinking about what can Paige Lyons bring to the table. The freshman, no doubt about it, it's her biggest game ever. Can she deliver with the spotlight
1: on her? And the conclusion to the A Private State Championships, Kyle, is going to be the boys' matchup between St. Francis and Aquinas. Again, some names we've been throwing around, talking about all season. You've had them ranked. It's going to be at 4 o'clock at McCamish Pavilion at Georgia Tech. And you were lucky enough to catch up with Coach Adam Griffin, the Wesleyan boys' head coach. He plays in that A Private region. He's familiar with these squads, and he was able to give us some great insight, Kyle.
0: Yeah, Coach Griffin, he's he's a good one. Um, Wesleyan had a good season this year, just kind of ran out of firepower at the end. But he's very familiar, especially with St. Francis, and he was able to give us some great X and O's insight of what to expect between Aquinas and St. Francis. In a rematch of last year's uh, Elite Eight game, 63-48, St. Francis – Did the deed over there in Augusta, and we'll see what we can do this year because there are a lot of new pieces on both sides of the court for both teams.
1: Now, here's Kyle's conversation with Coach Griffin.
0: In Class A private, we have number four, St. Francis, who ended the season ranked number three in the state, meeting number six seed, Aquinas, who is number five in the final regular season polls. And breaking it down today, none other than Wesleyan men's basketball coach, Adam Griffin. Coach Griffin, thank you for breaking it down. I know you li- you know a little bit about these Class A private schools, so none better to break it down than you, sir. Uh,
6: thanks, Kyle. Happy to be here. Definitely, uh, having played St. Francis and seen Aquinas Laqu- a few times, feel like I uh, got a Pretty pretty good idea what's gonna go down next week.
0: All right, so let's go with uh, Saint Francis. They beat Holy Innocence eighty three fifty four. Uh it was a forty to eighteen lead at the half. It was it was not very pretty. Holy Innocence tried to run with St. Francis. Dwan Odom capitalized, 20 points. Sam Hines, 16. Chase Ellis, 11. Caleb Snyder, 10. So a very balanced attack. So let's just start with um, St. Francis. What have you seen from them? What do you think about their chances? And, of course, Drew Catlett, Uh, he's a good one on the sidelines.
6: Yeah, Coach Catlett really knows what he's doing. We've played them the last two years. And his kids just, they don't beat themselves. They execute their stuff. And for me, it comes down to they're a really balanced roster and four or five kids who could put up 15 points in a night, but it really comes down to Dwan Odom. That kid gets going, and if he can get up and down in transition, he's such an amazing athlete that really I don't know that anybody can keep him from getting in the lane, especially if you try to play with him in transition because that's just where he's at his best.
0: You're right about that. They are uh, a very quick team, but it's going to be difficult to get in transition because we know about Aquinas. They beat Elka for the second time this year. This one was a lot closer, 47-41. to Elka just could not shoot free throws, shot 56% from the line. Uh, it was an ugly game, couldn't Couldn't make any outside jump shots because Aquinas packed it in with their 2-3 zone. They got 12 points from Daniel Parrish, 11 points from Trey Million. It's going to be difficult. If St. Francis is going to want to beat Aquinas, they're going to really have to shoot him out of that zone.
6: Yeah, and, you know, they've got the two shooters with the Riley kid and the Paredes kid on the wing. They've got kids who can hit outside shots. Even the Ellis kid can step out and hit a three or two. So, you know, we played them. When we played them, we tried to pack it in the zone, similar to what I think Aquinas is probably going to do. And they've got enough shooters to make you play honest. So, you know, at some point, if they hit enough to pull Aquinas out of the zone, that certainly is going to play into – St. Francis' favor, but they come out cold, Aquinas is going to stay in there, pack it in, and try to make the game kind of a grind.
0: And I'm, I'm a little worried. I know St. Francis is young. They're super talented, but still they're, they're primarily all sophomores, a couple freshmen sprinkled in there with a couple juniors. Aquinas does have physicality inside DeWan Hill. Uh, Cam Gardner. They do have some size. They do have some length. Now, offensively, they get a lot of those points on dump downs with a Trey Million or a, a Daniel Parrish drive. And Parrish, I think he's going to be very key to this game. When he transferred in from South Carolina, he gave uh aquinas uh, uh, a true ball handler that kind of struggled with the, uh, a real primary ball handler especially against the press someone that they could rely on now daniel's really herky jerky lefty gets in the lane but he makes a lot of awkward passes but he's a great passer and finds a lot of uh, open players on the low block so he, he, he usually spoon feeds um, hill and gardner around the basket and saint francis they're not super big. I know Sam Hines is about six foot six, and Chase Ellis is, you know, maybe six three with that flat top. Uh, but he is a really good rebounder. I'm just, you know, I, I'm weary of are they going to be physical enough to to try and uh, negate what Aquinas does on the low block when they get those dump downs. Well, I think you
6: know they're going to definitely have a little bit of a size disadvantage, but they've played some bigger teams throughout the year. It's not going to be the first time they'll have seen it. You know, the real question will be from a standpoint of do they try to, to speed them up a little bit? I don't think St. Francis is a team that presses a gun. They'll use it occasionally, but, you know, they're more of a half-court man-to-man team. It's going to be interesting to see if the links that St. Francis does have at the wing actually kind of helps them out because what they may not have inside, size-wise, they actually have some pretty big and very strong wing players, and the Odom kid looks like a SEC wide receiver recruit playing point guard. So, you know, he can certainly keep kids out of the lane. And, you know, it goes back to styles make fights. And you've got two very contrasting styles. And I do think it might really come down to can Aquinas get the ball, you know, in the lane enough to pound it away with their big guys? Or can St. Francis hit enough shots from the outside to get Aquinas to open up their defense? It really could be what is the difference in the game
0: yeah, it's, uh, you're right about that. It's going to be very imperative. I mean, we already mentioned it, of course, but CJ Riley, that's a kid that I always like to pencil in for 12 points. So two or three threes, maybe a free throw in a bucket here or there. Uh, him and, uh, Caleb Snyder, they're going to be very important to knock down some shots. Snyder's is about a six a three, nice, nice length, nice, uh, nice size on the wing. And I mean, Drew Catlett's done it before. They went into, Aquinas last year in the Elite Eight and beat them 63 to 48. So they do have the recipe. Dwan Odom had a really big game there. Uh, Wallace Tucker uh, had a, a, an outstanding game, but he has of course graduated. the The matchup between Trey Gomillion and Dwan Odom is going to be interesting because both of them, uh, very good athletes, can play above the rim. is more of a football type, you know, just a powerful bruiser that can, you know, explode to the basket. Uh, while Odom is more electric and uh can swift you know he's re- he's really quick he's very light on his feet and he can explode to the rim as well so both of those guys I think both coaches are really going to try and key in on slowing them down I think Dewan Odom has improved greatly uh since shifting over to the point guard position he's been a really good passer this year he's averaging you know over six assists per game uh, I-, I think that's uh, a, very, uh, a very a very uh very important one there but I'm just you know, it's, it's gonna be a good game. It's gonna be a really good game. Defensively, of course, I think if this is a, a more of a game in maybe like the 60s or if they can rev it up to the seven, anything, you know, pretty much anything, uh, over 50 points, I would tend to think it's kinda maybe in St. Francis's favor, uh, because Aquinas, they do like to slow it down. They held Elka to 41 points, but, uh, if you're looking for a positive for St. Francis, they have played a, a, a team that is very good with the zone. It's not the exact same thing, but zone principles. When they, uh, they had an ugly game at the Lake City Classic, but they did pull it out against Alatoona with that matchup zone. Marcus Hood likes to run. So they've seen a, a, a team that does have a, a zone-type principle, and it, it wasn't easy for them, but they did pull it out. So I think that might be able to bode well for them, just seeing another team with a, a zone. Do you think that might uh, that might be a key factor, seeing one of the best zones in the state and now you're seeing another really tough one, they have something to kind of lean on? Yeah,
7: that certainly experience with the zone just because your
6: average high school kid just doesn't really know how to attack it um now they've got great zone stuff they really do run some really good zone sets and zone continuity i think it really could come down to their kind of jack of all trades kid chase ellis because that kid can score inside outside mid-range he passes it well he can guard really probably three through five maybe even two through five so they've got the kind of kid that they can use in a variety of ways to attack the Aquinas defense and as good as Odom is when St. Francis is at their best those two are both really going and and in a good rhythm and when they're like that and they hit a couple of shots outside they're they're really tough to beat
0: I think someone that St. Francis defensively is going to have to make sure they don't lose in Trent Bowdry is by far and away Aquinas' best shooter, the lefty. Like, if he hits one, two, you know, he's going to end up hitting five or six. That is the guy that can sometimes I don't know how, but can get maybe a little bit lost in the scouting report at times, but he is the three point shooter. You have to close out with a hand high on him because he will, he will take it and he will be one of those heat check guys that will fling it up there. And it's going to go in. Sometimes if I'm St. Francis, I want to make sure I close out high. If I have to run him off the line, I'm going to run him off the line. But you know, of course that's if he's hit two or three, but uh, run him off the line, make him be more of a playmaker. Now he can make some plays, but sometimes he can get a little, a little, Little caught in the air and make a poor decision, but if Trent Bowdry does get hot uh, for Aquinas, that's going to be just a really big uh, thorn in the side that St. Francis is going to have to deal with.
6: Well, I think you see a situation where you've got two deep teams that, while they do have, you know, maybe one or two kids that really are their you know, brand name elite kids, they have three or four other kids, you know, on the team that can put the ball in the basket. So while, like, I think you nailed it on the head that 50 to 55 points might be the barometer for who, whose style controlled the game. If it's under 50, it's probably an Aquinas game. If it's 50 to 55 or higher, it's really a St. Francis game. And games like this, you know, if you use the Bill Belichick analogy of I'm going to make somebody play left-handed, well, if Aquinas can limit Odom and, and St. Francis can limit Gomillion, it might be these secondary kids who really make the difference.
0: You're right about that. And, Coach, uh, I just want to appreciate you. Uh, Thank you for coming on and breaking down this matchup, and I'm sure you're going to have an eye on this game, uh, whether you're in the building or watching from afar. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it, Kyle. Take
1: care. And now, Cal, we fall to a classification that you were at. You watched these final four games, 6A girls and boys. Of course, 6 p.m., 6A girls. It's going to be Lovejoy versus Harrison. Uh, these games, the final four games, not so close. And I think you'll talk about that a bit with Luke Strickland.
0: Yes, yes, uh, we, we did touch on that. It was uh, pretty pretty rough. Pretty rough to watch those games, and uh, we do talk about it. Uh, hopefully the uh, the title games will be much closer. I do foresee them being uh, excellent games, uh, some great, great coaches, great coaches going at it in 6A with uh, Cedric King and then Steve Linehan. Great coaches, very, very different squads, but that sets up for a great matchup. In 6A, we have number one in the state, Lovejoy, Region 4, number one, versus Region 6, number one, number three in the state, Harrison. And coming back to talk with us is Luke Strickland of the Clayton and Henry County Newspapers, a sports editor over there. Luke, let's drive right into it. The Lovejoy girls, mightily impressive, took it to Northview 70-42, to in the final four, Harrison took care of Douglas County 68-54. What did you see from Lovejoy in that big 28-point victory over Northview?
8: love joy all year um, they're, they're the special perfect storm of having a good coach um, athletic girls who can do things on both ends of the floor and then having uh, you know, two star level players with Genesis and then that boyd. So you throw all that together um, and you get what you get you got here. Um, they're super talented. Um, obviously I see them I've seen them more. Uh, but I would uh, – to beat them, you're really going to have to limit the extra points. And obviously, that's – got to guard the three-point line. Genesis, Bryant has got to be one of the top shooters in the state. I mean, I don't, like I said, you see it a lot more than mm-hmm. me. Uh, but she is pure from three. Um, if she's open, she's going to hit it more times than not. But after that, they don't really have – they've streaked three-point They hit a few um, in the final four that kind of gave them some breathing room and allowed them to stretch it. Um, But you gotta limit that. If they're hitting five, six, seven threes, you're not gonna win. Um, The other thing is you gotta limit them in transition. That's easier said than done. They're gonna score in transition. They're gonna speed you up. They're gonna try to do that. If you can, you know, uh, protect the ball, which Harrison's guards impressed me the other day, um, getting the ball up the floor and getting into their offense. If you could do that and make them guard in the half court, um, you're gonna have a shot. The other thing, too, is, they're all, they're still young. They have one senior, Caleb Brown. The rest are sophomores and juniors. Now they're experienced. They went to the final four last year. They obviously made this run this year. But if you get it to, get it to the fourth quarter, you know, let's see if they uh, got what it takes. They did it against Winder Barrow in what was probably the, you know, one of the best girls' games of the year um, in the Elite Eight. Um, if you can do that, get to the fourth quarter. Um, You got a shot, but that's easier said than done. They're super talented, and it's going to take an extremely uh, solid game plan and some exceptional
0: play to, to, to be able to knock them off. And before I even dive into the super sophomores that you touched on, I think Kayla Brown is going to be super important. She was great against Northview. Uh, About six foot, a very good athlete, very physical rebounder, uh, just a lean, mean athlete inside. She had 16 points, 12 rebounds, two blocks, and she was going up against, you know, six foot one Ashley Austin, about six foot. uh, Maya Richards, a real bull in the china shop. So she saw. You know, a big physical post player. She saw just a, a really skilled all-around, uh, you know, combo forward, and she held her own. And to be honest with you, she probably outplayed both of them. So, Brown, I think she's going to be very important. Harrison doesn't have a whole lot of size inside. Now, they are very physical. They did a really good job of uh, kind of shutting down Amari Robinson. Robinson still had her double-double and a big stat line, but she really had to work for it. Sarah Woke Karen um, was very physical with her, a lot of tricks in the paint, you know face guarding her and hooking hooking her arms, not letting her getting post up opportunities. Um. So it's going to be a, a, a interesting battle to see if Woke can keep Brown off the glass. But you're you're not kidding. I mean, Genesis Bryant, she is so good. She's just a you know a small little girl, but she's only a sophomore. She is a knockdown three point shooter. She is pretty much automatic from the free throw line. Just ice water in her veins. She was knocking down so many shots, and she had thirty three points to beat. Winderbarrow, and you know what? I thought I thought they were done in the Elite Eight. They were in overtime. (laughs) They missed those two front ends of the one and one in the fourth quarter, and let Winderbarrow tie it go down 61-56 in overtime, and I was like, well, you know, they're, they're sophomores. Maybe it's just time for the seniors of Wonder Bear to win this one. No way. They have no quit. Coach King's girls, you know, they slap that press on you. They are very aggressive, but they're smart with their aggressiveness. They're not gambling for steals. They're going to make teams play their tempo, but it's going to be a controlled tempo, and they're going to be able to cut off drives. They, they slide their feet very well. Uh, they don't foul too much either, hands straight up, but they do a very good job of keeping the uh, ball hander and the basket separated with their body there. But Bryant was so good. She had 18 points, had 14 in the first half against Northview to really set the tone. Anaya Boyd. She was uh, just dropping dimes all over the place. I had her for 11 points, 5 rebounds, 7 assists, 5 steals, and 2 blocks. And, uh, I mean, th- those two guards, they they have seen pretty much everything. They beat Buford this year. Uh, they're going to have to handle that Harrison press, but I-, I think they'll be able to do it. They're just so talented and so calm with the ball. And I do like some of their role players. Gianna Robinson, she had 10 points in that win. Uh, so, I, I really do, I do like Lovejoy. I don't think their age and their youth is going to hinder them because they took a deep run into state playoffs last year and you know they were playing with kind of house money last year they were probably a year before you know a year before we all expected them to arrive with all these freshmen but they really produce, and they're going to have everybody, for the most part, outside of Brown coming back next year. So I think Lovejoy, uh, this could be the start of a dynasty, uh, but they're going to have to get past Harrison. Uh, and I know you saw Harrison, and uh, they're they're a very aggressive team as well with the press. So both teams are going to be pressing each other. It's going to be interesting to see which ball handlers can really handle the pressure and set up the offense and play at the pace they want to. Yeah, I'm interested to see if Harrison
8: presses them, because I don't think that's the way to beat Lovejoy. I don't... I don't know if you can outfast them. Uh, you may, you may. Uh, that's what you run. That's what you run. But they they have the athletes. They're well coached. I just don't see that being. Maybe it's in spurts and spots. But if you're just going to come out from start to finish and try to press them, I don't. I don't know if that's the way to beat them. But like you touched on, you know, Bryant and, and Boyd uh, are the stars. They get all the. But Caleb Brown, Gianna Robinson, LaShante Blunt. Uh, Mariah Spain a freshman that comes off the bench by their best defender. And they have girls that have bought into their role and understand what they're trying to do for the team. And that's, you know, a tribute to King um, who has gotten a lot of this talent and said, hey, you want to win? Here's, here's your role in the team. Um, and if they're getting 10 points from Robinson and eight from Preston and 15 from Brown or whatever it is to go with, you know, 30, 40 points from two sophomores, you're, you're, you're climbing uphill. So um, it's going to be tough for sure. But, but um, I was impressed with Harrison's um, their point guard. I forget her name. Yeah. Harper Vick. Yep. Yeah. She was, she was under control, um, played her game, never looked rattled. Um, so I think she's going to play a big role in just help, helping them get through the press um, and just get into the offense and try to bleed some clock and, 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 game as low scoring as possible.
0: Yeah, Harrison, they are they are very well coached by Steve Lenahan. Harper Vick, she's going to GCSU. She had 20 points and 8 rebounds in that win over Douglas County and, you know, not not quite the the superstar that Genesis Bryan is, but kind of similar, you know, very reliable with the ball, can knock down threes, can knock down free throws, just makes a lot of winning plays out there. Woke here, and we mentioned her a little bit earlier, just a physical presence, a great glue player, 17 points and nine rebounds battling Amari Robinson. And uh, Audrey Jordan, who is their best college prospect. Who's going to UAB. She had 10 points in that game. She was a little bit quiet, but she's a lefty. She always loves to finish with her left hand, go to that left side. She has a very quick low to the ground crossover dribble that frees her up a lot. She also likes to go into the paint, you know, spin back down and spin her way to the basket. Uh, she's going to have to have a really good game. Um, but is she going to be able to score inside when she's running up against, uh, a Kayla Brown or a Naya Boyd who does have length and can block some shots. Uh, they're going to challenge it because lovejoy they do play great defense they held northview to 22% shooting in the first half and that was pretty much that was pretty much the game right there just locking down northview and uh, you know harrison they play good defense On their side, again, we talked about the press, uh, but it's going to be who are the role players that step up. We name their big three right now, but May Willis provides some good minutes at the guard position. Easton King is a a physical you know, guard-forward combo player. Uh, It's going to be a fun game, and we will see. Is youth going to be served with Lovejoy, or is is Harrison and their veterans, are they going to find a way to get it done after they lost by one against Mays in the state championship game last year? Yeah, and it's exciting. I've seen... Lovejoy throughout the year. As this
8: year's gone on, um, for the most part, of this whole year, dating back to last year, they've gotten a really, really good um, crowd to come to these games. They they, they bought a couple buses up to Winder Barrow um, in that madhouse and were able to, you know, I don't know if they made a huge difference, but it was, it was, I'm sure it helped, you know, the girls to see that. Harrison, I was impressed with their following the other day. So um, in a game like this, You can't underestimate that. I know it's in a bigger arena, but, um, you know, I guess that goes for all these games. But both those crowds were – I'm impressed by them um, as far as, you know, traveling to cover these teams. And it's right up the road uh, for for each of them. So it's not going to be a crazy trip up or down or anything like that. So I would expect a,
0: a good atmosphere. Yes, most definitely that game will tip off. It will be a Friday game. It will be the last game on, actually, not the last girl game on Friday, which I believe will tip at 6 p.m. So come check it out at McCamish Pavilion. And Luke Strickland, thank
1: you for joining us. No problem. Thank you. Your nightcap is going to be Gainesville versus Langston Hughes. Now, Colin must say we did these podcasts. We've been doing them throughout the season once a week after the rankings come out, and you have been very high on this Gainesville squad, even when they went 3-6 and six to open the season. And, of course, they haven't lost since. Gainesville has proven why they've had the number one rank. They've been running up their past two games over 100 points. They're going to face a Landers-Noli-led Langston Hughes squad. You saw both both of these two teams play in the final that's going to be 8 p.m. at McCamish Pavilion and for this one we have coach Gil Davis the head coach at South Paulding High School who you're able to catch up with
0: yeah so we we brought on Gil to you know just give a look at uh what to expect because he was also in attendance in Carrollton he was out there checking the games uh the final four matchups uh, and he, he, he had a lot of success last year against Langston Hughes. They, they beat him every single time they played Langston Hughes last year, obviously not this year. Um, but he had some success, and he was able to slow down Landers Nolly He just, you know, a little bit. He wasn't going off for 40 points on him. I think they might have actually held him uh, below 20 points in in one of their games, which is a, an outstanding feat. So we brought on Gil Davis. Uh, he's very familiar with both Gainesville and um, uh, Langston Hughes so uh, we brought in a coach's perspective one that has uh, been 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 to the uh, been to uh, pretty deep into the state playoffs last year elite eight but was uh, I believe the number one ranked team in the state uh, heading into that tournament but uh, someone that is very familiar with both programs and uh, lucky to have coach Davis join us We have a doozy in Class 6A boys. It is a rematch not of a state championship but of a classic Elite Eight showdown last year when Langston Hughes shocked Gainesville 72-69 after they lost their first game of the season to Gainesville 74-57. But we are a year removed from all of that, and we have a big one coming up with... Uh, Langston Hughes, number two in the state, the number one seed in Region 5, going up against the number one team in the state, Region 8 number one. And to break it down and to give us some insight is Gil Davis of South Paulding, one of the few coaches that was able to beat Langston Hughes last year. And he's got plenty of experience watching Langston Hughes in person, and he was able to check out – uh this weekend last weekend's action of the semifinals coach davis thank you for joining us today
7: i appreciate you having me kyle
0: thank you thank you so let's 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 go in the way back machine i know you just told me you were you were at the gainesville game in that elite eight matchup and uh, I guess we, we just prefaced it, seventy two sixty nine last year. Um, could you talk about what you saw from that game last season and how you think that might affect what will happen in uh, this week's showdown?
7: Uh, I mean, I don't know if anything the last season really has a major reflection on what's going to happen this weekend. But, um, I mean, I, what I saw was I, I saw games will jump on them early. They were, they were at home for that game. And then, um, Lakeson just would, just, they were battle-tested with Cook and uh, Nolly. They were able to make plays down the stretches. They had some young kids step up, like Tyrell Morgan, who's playing a lot better now, obviously. Um, I, just, I just feel like um, the pressure didn't affect them as much last year with Cook and, um, some of those other guys, but, uh, I mean, I don't know if, you know what I mean. I don't know if reflection on last year really affects this weekend, but, uh, I mean, I definitely think it's on both teams' minds.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: I think they played last year twice, and, um, I guess that could be motivation on either side, because, you know, game 1-1, them 1-1, but, um, I don't, I don't know how much, um, you know what I mean? I don't know how much reflection it will do yeah. this weekend.
0: And, and you saw both of these teams play in Carrollton. Uh, just a quick <laughs> recap. Uh, Langston Hughes, uh, they, they pulled away and won pretty handily, 102-86 to 86 over a Heritage Conyers team, and they've really been on a warpath all season long, Gainesville, after that 3-6 that and six start, and they've been taking it to people. Raphael Rubel, who was not on the roster last year, uh, he had a great game with 22 points. Xavier Bloodson, 18 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists. Jarrell Rosser, 16. Jared Rosser, 13. Quan Hale, 10. So super balanced. And then looking at Langston Hughes, uh, they, again, they, they also uh, they pulled away from Jonesboro in the second half after it was 30-24 at the half. 69-49, to 49, Landers and Ollie just continuing what he's been doing all season long and even last season, 27 points and 6 rebounds. Tyler Smith added 11 garbage time points, and Tyrell Morgan, 10 points and 7 rebounds. So just judging from what you saw this past weekend, uh, how, how do you think these two teams are gonna match up and uh what 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 do you think are possibly some some strengths and some weaknesses that both both teams could look to exploit or try to uh to try to uh put into play to their own advantage? I think this game's gonna come down to
7: how each team handles the pressure of the other team. Um I think games will they run a multitude of things on defense. Um they are very talented as far as the, the pressure fronts they're going to throw at you. They have those three point guards, Hale, Kelly and Rubel, that are um, they really mix match well. And then the, the length on the backside, whether it's the roster twins or Buffin or Minor or whoever they might have back there, they do a really good job with the with their presses. And um, they they're going to throw a lot of stuff at those um, younger guards for um, Langston. They're going to, have to handle, um, but on the flip side, I think that uh, the, the smaller guards for will they're going—I mean—they're going to struggle with landing their volley at the front of a two-one-two press, a one-three-one press, a one-two-two press. They're going to have to be able to handle the three-quarter pressures that uh length throws at you with all their links And um, I think the team that handles those pressures the best and can finish on the back end is more than more than likely. Yeah.
0: Hmm. And I mean, Gainesville—they—they're super battle-tested. I—I I, I said about the—the the three and six uh, early on in the season, but that's—that's that's the whole thing, battle-tested. But that was light years ago. Their last game that was single digits was back on January twentieth, when they won at 83 eighty-three, eighty-one, and they really pulled a rabbit out of their hat there. But after that, they've just been blowing people out by twenty, thirty points every single game. They beat Lakeside by about 45 points. Heritage was, you know, an up-and-down game, but, the, you know, still at the end of the day, uh, uh easy double-digit uh, victory, and th- that's the thing. I mean, Gainesville, when they're rolling, they're really good, but I still feel like they can have a, a little too much emotion and, and too much of a sh- chip on their shoulder, and we saw it last year With you know, you saw it, K.J. Buffin and, you know, he, he they. I think he got a, ejected or a technical or something happened in that game, and we saw a bunch of technical fouls against Heritage. And I mean, when when games was rolling, yes, they can score a lot of points, but even then, they could have backed it up with about a minute thirty left and and run some clock and get the get that game over with. But it seemed like sometimes the players are more concerned about breaking the one hundred point barrier than getting the win. And uh, again, they haven't been tested in a long time. And if Langston Hughes is you know, able to, 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 test them and make this a, a close game in the fourth quarter. If there's any adversity, uh, is Gainesville going to be able to handle that adversity? Because they do have a lot of personalities on that team and they're not really used to things not going their way.
7: Uh, I mean, very valid points. And, uh, I mean, I
0: think, I do think there's something to be said for the fact that you haven't handled adversity in a long time. Mm-hmm.
7: Um, it's been fun. in your mouth punched you in the mouth and you're down 10 early, how are you going to handle it when you haven't had to handle it for multiple months? But, I mean, I think both teams are battle-tested. Langston on the front end, you know, they've done it before. from a very good region. Um, You know, they played very good opponents throughout the year. Gainesville, you know, their region might not be as tough, but the region was a lot tougher than people think it is, I think, this Mm -hmm. year. And then, um, They play some good people and they, and they got a lot of seniors. So, um, I think both teams on different type of levels are battle tested. And, um, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be a factor. I mean, you know, you can, you you can make any situation, you know, type of kid, the amount of teams they played, whatever you can make any of that uh, a factor, I guess, if you want to and swing it that way. But the deal is, Both of them have been here before. Both of them have played one another. Both of them have played good opponents. It's going to come down to that night, how they handle adversity, how they handle pressure, you know, and things like
0: that, to me. Mm -hmm. And I think the the biggest question, obviously, uh, Gansel does have the length and they do have plenty of bodies to throw at him, but how do you slow down Landers, and Oli? I know you had some success last year, not really this year in the wind column, but you did have some success of kind of slowing him down and not letting him go for outbursts of 25, 30 points. Um, What was your plan of of, uh, slowing him down, and what do you think Coach Wood will do at Gainesville? What's what's the key to trying to keep him contained for the most part? I have no clue what Benji's going to do. I
7: mean, I haven't spoke to him, but I mean, what we did is you have to crowd him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's crowded you have to make touches tough you know, if he comes off a ball screen you, you gotta run doubles at him you gotta put him in situations to put the ball out of his hand because um, he's that good he's he's really good and the, when his shots get tougher he gets better mm-hmm. so um, he's really good in big moments and the biggest deal is you you're, you're going to be better if the ball's on his hand.
0: Mm-hmm.
7: So, we just did all we could do to um, make the other guys, which he had a great supporting cast last year. And obviously, they won it all. So, I'm not taking anything away from them. But you, you, be good, you have to make the other guys beat you. Mm-hmm. Um, Landers a great player. Um, but you have to crowd him. You have to make him uh, feel physicality. You have to throw doubles at him you just have to make the other guys make jump shots and, and not make them a driving basketball team, because if they're going downhill, they're good. They're really good. All of them. I mean, Morgan, Carter, uh, Smith and obviously, uh, Landers, but, um, that's what we did. We, you know, we just tried to limit his touches all out of his hand as quick as we could try to throw some physicality at him where, um, not necessarily he would get frustrated, but, you know, it's something where he was not comfortable. You don't want him to catch the ball and feel comfortable all the time. And that's, that's the, the general thing that I think anybody would do against other players. Just, you got you gotta take them out of their comfort zone and, um, try to make them as uncomfortable as possible. And, and that's what we try to do. And, and it did work, but <laughs> this year it didn't. So, I mean, yeah, I think that's.
0: <laughs> Good point. And yeah, you make a good point about the role players. Like last year, it was guys like Ross Matthews really stepped up down the stretch. I think that's going to be key. I mean, Tyler Smith did have 11 points, the transfer that came in from Carolina. He's a big bruising, plays above the rim forward. He had 11 points in the semifinal game, but he was 0 of 5. When it really mattered. he got all his points in garbage time with you know fast break, wide open dunks. He's going to have to really battle, and he's going to have to produce. He's going to have to give you somewhere between I don't know, he you know eight points, eight rebounds. He's going to have to do something against that Gainesville front line and guys like Tyrell Morgan, uh, Patrick Carter. Uh, they have been nice, nice players. Uh, very good, very good throughout the season. Uh, very nice compliments to Nolly. Uh, so those guys are really going to have to step up as well. I look for those guys to be. Very key factors in Gainesville. It's just, you know, death by a thousand cuts 10 points here, 10 points here, 10 points there, 12 points, 13 points, and 14 points. And you look up at the scoreboard, they got 84 points on you between about seven or eight players. And that's a recipe for success. But uh, Coach Davis, thank you for coming on and uh, giving us some insight on this Class 6A matchup. I think it's going to be a good one. There's going to be no shortage of fireworks. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out at McCam's Pavilion. Thanks, Coach. Thanks,
1: man. I appreciate you having me, Kyle. And then the final day, the fourth day of state championships, Kyle, by then we will be tired. But, of course, we have a big matchup coming up in 4A. 2 p.m., though, 4A girls, Henry County versus Spaulding. And we'll have Luke Strickland back on to talk about this matchup.
0: Yep, yeah, and uh – yeah, he's, he's over there in Henry County and Clayton County, so he's seen a lot of these teams, and that is going to be a very interesting one, and you can surmise why um, we talk about it in the podcast. I think one team showed extremely well in their semifinal, and the other team did not quite play up to their potential uh, the first time I saw them play. So me and Luke go a little bit back and forth on what to expect in this championship game.
1: And now, Luke Strickland and Kyle's conversation on the 4A girls championship. In Class
0: 4A girls, we have Region One, number two in the state, Henry County, going up against Region Two, number one, number three in the state, Spalding. Spalding beat Carver Columbus, who was ranked number one in the state, 58 to 51, in Henry County. Got rid of America's Sumter, a scrappy team, fifty-one thirty-eight. And with us to break down a little bit of Henry County girls basketball is Luke Strickland of the Henry County and Clayton County newspapers, the sports editor over there. Luke, thanks for joining us. How's it going? It's good to be here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let's dive right into it. I'll let you take it away with the Henry County girls. I saw them. Uh, Just this past week, they did not play their best basketball, I don't think, against a scrappy America Sumter team. But I was very impressed with uh, Maya Jackson. And uh, you know about her and, of course, Brooke Moore going to Auburn. Right, yeah. This year's Henry
8: County team, uh, they've been very good in the past couple years with Brooke there. Uh, Coach Jason Harris was there. He went to Rome uh, this past year. And Coach Greg Shook took over. But uh, this year's team is a lot deeper than they've been in the past. uh, And, past years it's been Brooke you know for 25 30 points which she can still do um but she's a lot more uh, comfortable I think being the facilitator and kind of has grown and matured as she's you know in her senior year here now knowing when it's her time to score when it's when it's when it's the type of game where she needs to facilitate so like you said Amaya Jackson uh Janiah Jones um Wadsworth, all these other girls are able to to have have all led them in scoring at different times during the year. So I think that plays to their strengths. And that's kind of the reason why they've been able to win a lot of games in different ways. Like you said, last week was not pretty by any stretch of the imagination, but they kind of knew that America Sumter was going to sit and make them, you know, they were their defensive minded team as it is. So um, Spalding should be able to match up with them athletically, I would think. Uh, just from seeing them in the past, but um, I-, I like this team and where they're at just because um, uh, the more options you have offensively, obviously, the, the, you know, the better off you're going to be, and they're not relying on Brooke like I think some people may think that they are due to, like, how she's been in the past, so.
0: Yeah, and I was, I was super impressed with Amaya Jackson. I know she's only a junior, but she was so athletic. She grabbed so many rebounds. She was just a a real great piece. 19 points, 12 rebounds, four steals, against America Sumter, Uh, I I, I can see her uh, trying to pick up Spalding's guards and and trying to lock them down. But Brooke Moore had 11 points, Janiah Jones, 9 points, 8 rebounds. Janiah Wadsworth, uh, very physical wing with 9 points, 5 rebounds, and 3 assists. And Usoria McCorder, I think she might play a very big role because Spalding's not too big inside, and and she's about 6'1", 6'2", 5 points, 10 rebounds, 8 blocks. She's got some great size down there, and I think her length could really affect Spalding. Yeah,
8: they're, they're a complete team. They have what you need. Um, and they, like I said, they can win in a variety of different ways. Um, will they go do it? They've got to go do it. But, uh, I mean, to be 28-1 and one at this point, um, to go out of town and play some of these tournaments, um, they're, they're, I wouldn't judge too much off of, you know, a low-scoring uh, effort. Last week, obviously, too, Coach Shook's mom passed away. It was a weird week for them. Um, obviously prayers for coach shook who did end up coaching the final four um game but it was a weird weird week um so hopefully now with a whole eight days because they played friday they don't play till saturday they can uh get a game plan kind of um take a deep breath and be ready for this uh for one more game
0: and yeah i want to touch on spalding real quick i know you haven't seen him too much but Uh, I was super impressed with Anaya Jester. She was just a tough-nosed little guard. Uh, They don't have too much size at the guard position. I think Henry County is going to have that size advantage. We mentioned that. But Jester, she had 15 points, four rebounds, two assists, two steals, two blocks against Carver Columbus, a team that is, you know, Carver Columbus was about 10-12 10-12 deep, and uh, was a, a very big team, uh, similar to the size that they're going to see with Henry County. I was impressed with her. Kiana Banks is uh, a track and field athlete. She is just all legs. She had thirteen points, nine rebounds, three blocks. Did a little bit of everything. She could grab the rebound and start the break on her own. And Coriana Evans, she's a. I think she's a leading scorer this season. She was in foul trouble the entire game, and she was on the bench. But then in the fourth quarter, she scored six of her eight points, and and really pushed Spalding uh, to the finish line there. So. It's, it's going to be a tough game. Spalding is a, a very good defensive team. Now, again, when they're going to walk off the bus, it, you're going to have a couple 5-4 guards. You're not going to be super scared or intimidated by them. But this is a team that is, uh, has seen some of the best and has beaten some of the best. I mean, they beat Luella 63-56 in the Sweet 16, and that's a team that Henry County is very familiar with. They beat them 57 right. 48 they beat them 68 61 and then they beat them in the region championship 73 to 48 so uh, a familiarity right there between the two teams uh, of a, a common opponent so i think Spalding right. it's going to be a very very interesting game of course they're going to have to slow down Moore. she didn't you know she had a couple points uh, and, and their win against America Sumter, you could tell she's a really good shooter. When she really needs to turn it on, uh, I could see her getting hot. But Spaulding with their defensive-minded prowess, uh, Coach Gailbert does a great job. Um, they've already slayed one dragon, and uh, they're going to be able to uh, really compete with Henry County. I don't think they're going to be afraid because they already seen a, a big-time team like Carver Columbus. Right, and Luella,
8: you mentioned them, their team with talented, talented guards um, like Henry County. So, you mentioned the size inside. Um, Henry County, you know, they can take advantage of that. Um, they, I don't know if Spalding has the answer for that. Uh, they've Spalding proven that they can guard talented 20, you know, 20 night girls. So, Um, that would appear to be the advantage, um, but we'll see when we get
0: there. You're you're right about that. And one last thing I want to say, I I think Henry County might have a little bit of an advantage with the three-point shot. I mentioned it a little bit earlier with Brooke Moore. That is a girl that can really pull. I think Spalding's mostly going to be all attacking to the basket, getting to the line with Jester creating and the Milner sisters. They could could hit a couple corner threes, but I think Brooke Moore is going to be the best perimeter shooter. And Luke, I want to thank you for coming on and Sounds good. Thanks
1: for having me. After Friday and Saturday's final four games, Kyle, you and me, we talked extensively on the phone, chronicling what we saw, what we expected to see. And as soon as this one happened, this one was set in stone. We've been talking about it all season, the 4A boys' final. It's a shame it has to be played at 4 o'clock because this really should be the nightcap. This is the rematch. Everyone wants to see Ups and Leaves putting their 62 game. Uh, winning streak on the line against St. Pius Upson Lee they almost lost to Sandy Creek in the final four games St. Pius they took care of business but it's going to be 4A boys we have Wes McCart back on the podcast he's making a recurrence this season to talk yeah. about his Upson Lee nights and you were able to catch up with him Kyle
0: yeah and we, we were saying that all season long I said it would take an epic collapse to not see both of these teams play and you know Baldwin was our sleeper team to make the final four and damn, did they look good against St. Pius after a very slow 13 to one start that game. You know, even though they lost 66, 61, I got to say that game was actually better than the Upson League game. 52, 51, uh, just back and forth. Just, just phenomenal Everett lane and going at it with Dante justice. Just, it was just an incredible game. And Ray, right, it just seems to never disappoint and I hope it is the exact same way uh, come this time. And we, of course, had Wes McCardin, who is uh, um you know, a, uh, a stalwart, a centerpiece in uh, the community of Thomaston, with covering this ups and Lee magical, magical two seasons here. Um, so we were able to bring him on and. Really dissect this game, really break it down. A lot of stats from last year's championship game, trying to cover this baby from uh, all angles. And before we, we get into that, that conversation, I want to hear your conversation because you saw that final play of the Upson League game
1: uh, <laughs> against Sandy Creek. With Trayvon Walker with his hands up, you thought it was a block. I did, and I was about to cut you off before we got into West because I wanted to point that up. As soon as I saw you post that video on Twitter, I shared your own video back to you, and I said, interesting. You texted me. I texted you back. I said, I don't think – or I said, I think that's a block. I don't like the no call. He had his hands up, but his feet were moving. He was never set. In a one-possession game, you call a block. That's I don't know if they're in the bonus right there, but if they call out an act of shooting, you're at least getting one at the line, if not two shots, and that could have changed the outcome in such a close game. I appreciate not calling the block there, letting the players play. I appreciate eating your whistle late in the game and not letting it be decided at the foul end, but also it's a very close play. Bang, bang, could have gone either way. But I think when you look at it, his feet were shuffling. I do think that's a block.
0: Yeah, Well, I I could see it. It it is. It's a precarious video, and it is on com. if you want to go and check out our Final Four Boys recaps. That last video is on there. But, you know, I I talked to one of the referees after the game, and, you know, they felt really good about that call. And, you know, their whole point was he didn't try to go around Trayvon. I mean, TJ Biggerstaff, he did – Go smack that into him And you know the defense is entitled to their Spot too yes he did slide Over but, but even he was also this- going towards the Basket Baker staff was Yes, yes, and he ran into a brick wall. I mean, as a defensive player, this is coming from my mouth now, not the referee's mouth. I mean, what is a defense supposed to do? Just say, well, I can't get in front of you. I can't have any contact. There's going to be contact. It's a physical game. This is the end of the game. I think, you know, Trayvon did a pretty nice job of – keeping his arms up. I know he had one arm, you know, kind of down. And his, when, once TJ Biggers have made contact to his body, his his arm, you know, when you get hit in the chest, your arms naturally going to come down a little bit, but there wasn't any contact. I could see it from both sides. I mean, I could see Sandy Creek being upset with that call, but again, you know, you can't rely on the referees to make those calls. And uh, I believe Bigger Steph had a shooter open on the wing, but it was just such a frantic pace and everything was g- going downhill. Uh, it was a really tough play. But
1: uh, again, I-, I do think they made the right call, which is a no call. And now uh, after that aside, we'll talk with Wes.
0: And the matchup we have all been waiting for in 4A boys, we knew it was going to come. It is a rematch of last year's Classic 53-48 Upson Lee over St. Pius. We have a 62-game winning streak on the line. We have Region 2, number one seed, the number one ranked team in the state, Upson Lee, a nationally ranked program going up against Region 8's number one seed, the number two ranked team in Class 4A, St. Pius and you know who's with us today. It is Wes McCard, former sports editor and current athletic coordinator at Thompson Upson Rec Department. Mr. McCard, we're back again, and it's back at McCamish Pavilion, sir. Yes, deja vu all over again,
3: Kyle. Um, it's, uh, it's been an exciting ride, and but the, I, I believe the two best teams are where they need to be. I'll tell you, I, I didn't get to make the trip down to Fort Valley over the weekend. I had to work, but uh, I was able to watch the games online. And um, boy, Baldwin and Sandy Creek gave uh, Pius and Upson Lee all they wanted and more. Yes. So, I mean, it uh, been, a, been, a, been a really good uh, playoff so far, and I'm looking forward to a good uh, state title game.
0: And uh, I'll, we'll, we'll, I'll let you start with Upson Lee. I'll just, you know, you mentioned it 52 51 over Sandy Creek. They trailed. 37-30 at the half. Jared Godfrey was red hot for Sandy Creek. Uh, they did a nice job on him in the second half, held him to just 6 points, but uh Ty Fagan came up big with 23 points, 6 rebounds, had 3 blocks including a very important one late in the game. Cory Smith 14 and 5, and then Trayvon Walker 11 points, had 13 rebounds, 4 blocks in a key defensive stand late. A couple people wanted to argue and say that it was a blocking foul on Trayvon Walker when uh TJ Pickerstaff ran into him and threw up that, that off kilter shot right there. Uh, I talked to the referee that actually did the game after and he said, uh, I th- he thinks I made the right call seeing that video. He, uh, he did a good job standing his ground and, you know, just, just a tough break for Sandy Creek. But I know you weren't, you weren't able to be there in person, but give me a rundown. What have you seen all season long from the Ups and Lee running Knights? Well, Kyle, uh, they just the a team that knows how to play.
3: Points. But, of course, when the game's in crunch time, uh, you got to look for Ty Fagan, you know, move to Middle Tennessee State. He's the uh, rating quad-A player of the year, two-time region player of the year. Got to be a favorite for the quad-A player of the year again this year, I would think. But um, they just get the ball into his hands, and he, he makes everyone else better. Um, he's, he's struggled with his shot here the last couple of weeks. I don't know if it's positive him playing, you know, so many games back-to-back here towards the end of the season, but I mean six or seven ga- uh, days before the championship game should be some good time for him to get off his feet and relax and heal up, but uh, I just, th- these kids don't know how to lose. I mean, you look at they were down. I believe it was what was the score in the, end the first quarter? They were down by eight or eight or nine. Down by seven at halftime, mm-hmm. and uh, just steadily climbed their way back in. Ja'Cory Smith is just a, is just been huge for us, in the playoffs this year, just like he was last year. Um, there's you know times in the court where you just don't you, you lose him. He's just there. he's always open, always. Mm-hmm. He know he knows his role. He knows his, he, kn- he knows. What he's good at, what he's not good at, um, he's absolutely killer from the mid-range mm-hmm. jump shot. Whether it's on the on the baseline, top, you know, foul line extended, wherever, he's a zone killer. Um, you know, he finds those pockets in those zones. And when you play man-to-man, most of the time you're gonna have so if you're gonna come off of him and help on Fagan. He's wide open for the shot. I mean, it's just absolutely knows where to find him. So. <laughs> They're really quick, and I mean, they didn't play their best offensive game uh, last week. Yeah, scored 52 points, but uh, they held Sandy Creek to one less, which is all you have to do to get the win. So, Sandy Creek, I was absolutely blown away by how, how long and athletic they are. Man, they're the biggest team, most athletic team we've played probably in three years easily. Easily. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just there, and they're so well-coached. It was just a shame somebody had to lose that game. Luckily it wasn't (laughs) us.
0: Yeah, you're you're right. So it keeps on rolling on, but you you hit the nail on the head. Ja'Cory Smith, he is the ultimate glue guy, and when you have to focus in on – Cameron Trailer knocking down three. Zyrie Scott getting hot, Ty Fagan doing everything, Trayvon Walker on the boards. You forget about Ja'Cory Smith, and he's just so important. You said he gets so many good, you know, bounces, soft rolls on that rim. He always finds the open spot. He's, I don't even know. he I, I, He's like 6'2", six, 6'3"? Six, I have no idea. He just plays. Yeah, hey, Ja'Cory yeah. goes about 6'2", something like that, 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, um, him and Fagan about the
3: same height, and then you got Trayvon at 6'6". Six, six. Um, but law like like all of our players, just super long arms. Uh, play a lot higher, a lot higher above the rim. A lot taller than they really
0: are. Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, Trayvon's got the got the reach of a kid that's probably six ten. He's six
0: six. You know,
3: his hands are huge. Uh, if he gets his hands on the ball, you're just, that's it. You're not getting
0: it. Yeah, and uh, interesting. No, interesting look at that game against Sandy Creek. I mean, they only got four points from. Uh, Zyrie Scott and zero points from Cameron Trailer, They're, they're three-point shooter. I have to tend to think that those guys, they're going to have to make some shots when they see uh, St. Pius in state championship game. We're about to dive into St. Pius real quick, but uh, those two guys, I think they're going to have to knock down some shots. You can't get just four points combined from those two. Most definitely.
3: Um, a couple things I'll take away from the Sandy Creek game, um, and I'll say this about Cameron Trailer and, and Zyrie. Both of them are, are pretty stellar defensive. Players And I think both of them had good defensive games uh, against Sandy Creek. They, uh, mm-hmm. Cameron went scoreless, which doesn't happen. I don't know if it happened this year. I mean, I'm sure he scored every game but that game. And uh, is can go for 30 at any time. Just ask Mary Parsons. Uh, he did it last year and this year against them. Uh, but, yeah, they're they definitely going to have to make shots. As a whole team, we're going to have to make shots, which is something we haven't been doing of late. Uh, but our defense has stayed with us. Uh, defense always travels, as they say. Oh, yeah. You know, offense, you can have an off night, but defense is something that comes from within. And so that's what, that's in Cameron Trailer, if you look back at the game against Lafayette, uh, I believe it was Keeler, he absolutely shut him down. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's, he's Lafayette's go to guy, and I think he had eight points. Mm-hmm. And uh, two of those or four of those in the first half, maybe. But, uh, yeah, they're going to have to make shots. And Cameron's a good three-point shooter. He's right around the 38%, 39% of the year. Zyreese um, is, is not, I would say, probably not a good three-point shooter, but he's more streaky. Zyreese mm-hmm. can hit five or six in a row. Or he can miss five or six in a row, but he's still going to shoot, which he, he like that confidence in him. But both guys play good
0: defense, and they're going to really need to play good defense against the backcourt of St. Pius uh, come Saturday. Right. And uh, to have a great rivalry, uh, I feel like it's, it's a brand new rivalry. These teams aren't close by, but after last, last year's sellout, I mean, you got to check the other side of the coin, and that is St. Pius. And I do think these uh, two programs really do respect each other. And St. Pius 8 had a hard-earned win against uh, Baldwin, 66-61. They were up 13-1 to start, and Baldwin came racing back. But every single time Baldwin would take a one-point lead or would tie the game, they would answer the call with a three-pointer. Everett Lane had seven threes, lucky number seven, like he did in the state championship, had 25 points. Yeah, three blocks. Uh, Troy Stevens had 11 points. Zach Ranson, six. Patrick Snipes had eight seven from Nico Broadway, uh, and then Matt Gonzalez had eight assists. Uh, so they they were able to hold off Baldwin. Uh, again, their press came out and just punched Baldwin right in the mouth. Now, Baldwin didn't start. Who I tend to think is their best player, Brendan Robertson. He came off the bench and provided them with a, a team-high 16 points. But, man, St. Pius, uh, especially when they're knocking down the three balls, they had seven threes in the first half. Um, they finished with, it looks like, Maybe 11 three pointers off the top of my head, and seven of those belong to Everett Lane. And, and you know very well about Mr. Lane. He is an absolute just a pain in the you know what to play against. But if he's on your team, you are absolutely goo goo gaga in love with him.
3: <laughs> yeah, he, um, uh, he, he put on a show last year against us. Uh, so, uh, luckily, I was able to hold him off late with a couple of big free throws. Monkey Smith and Zari Scott make clutch free throws. You know, the game. Um, going back to that Baldwin game, I was able to watch that game also, and it looked as if—and I, I know Coach Coach uh, Buck over in Baldwin has just done a terrific job, just coming from Laney over there. Um, but you look at Baldwin, and they look not not like they were starstruck. They, they, the moment was too big for them to start the game, and they and, and St. Pius just jumped all over them. But then all of a sudden, Baldwin got their sea legs, so to speak, and, and they got you know gotten a rhythm and were able to fight back and showed how good they really are and why they should have been there. And uh they were the region three champions. And that wound up being a heck of a game, man. I really thought that game could go either way, just like I thought Sandy Creek and Up Sleep can go either way. But uh just too many too many uh three pointers by St. Pius, uh eleven you say?
0: Uh I think it was eleven, at least eleven, yep. That's
3: uh that's 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 some that's some serious shooting. Uh I'll, I'll say this. Now, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to make, I'm not one to make predictions. Uh, of course I'm going to pull for Epsom Lee. I'm a, I'm I'm a Thomason guy. Um, but I have a lot of respect for Coach Parr and St. Pius. I'll say this though. If St. If Pius gets some of the open looks that Sandy Creek had in the first half of that Epsom league game, Epsom Lee's in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they we ultimately the played zone, I believe, in some of the first half, and we didn't rotate well on the backside, and Sandy Creek made some shots. They also missed some shots. They had some open threes, and luckily they missed. Uh, it's St. Pye, it's not that. You can't give them those shots. They're mm-hmm. not going to miss that. Um, in the second half, we come out and played a little more man-to-man and uh, kind of limited them, their looks on the, on the perimeter, which I think is what we're going to do against St. Saint- Pye. I, I have a hard time believe that we're going to play a play zone against St. Pius as well as they shoot. Um, Especially when I think we have the athleticism advantage on them, maybe play some man-to-man, a little press on them also. Um, Usually teams that press don't like to be pressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see how that, that that goes. But, I mean, Coach Darrell Lockhart has just done an absolutely amazing job with this team. Uh He's a great ex-nose coach. He's a, a great motivator. But more than anything, he, he manages – the, not egos, but he manages the personalities uh, mm-hmm. on that team so well, and that goes a long way of saying the you know what he's done with those kids over this two game winning streak, and um, I just be more proud of him, man. I'm excited for Saturday. It's going to be an excellent game. Keys uh, to, to me, the keys are going to be Ken absolutely Lee. Get hands in shooters' faces. Run Everett Lane, Gonzalo, Broadway. Run those guys off the three-point line
5: mm-hmm. and,
3: and force them to take the ball into the paint. Um, and then for St. Pius, their key is going to be can Kennedy Willis, uh name Kennedy Willis, and probably the uh, Zach Ransom kid. How are they going to How are they going to rebound and and control the paint against your six Trayvon Walker and and to Corey Smith and Fagan, who rebounds the ball well too for a wing. Uh, that, that, those are the two matchups I'm interested in seeing. Uh, I do believe St. Pius is probably the deeper team. I mean, Coach Parr plays 11 kids sometimes. Ups the they'll go, they 7 8 off the, you know, uh, three players off the bench usually. Uh, Trayvon Walker can stand a foul trouble. He did, you know he got a little bit of foul trouble last year, and that's when Pius was able to make that run. If you remember, I believe it was the third and fourth quarter. He, he had three or four fouls and come out. And Lockhart did a good job of managing that game, putting Trayvon back in at the right time, and up able to hold on for the win. But Trayvon gets some foul trouble, which he did get some a little bit. Um, it could be it could be an interesting day um, because the Saint Pius does not Lafayet, so. I mean, uh, I just think there's so many good matchups, so many, it's like chess pieces on a chess board. It's just so much, so much to delve into. We could talk about the game for an hour if you wanted to, but the fact is, I believe the two best teams in 4A are what they need to be. The, no, no slight to Baldwin or C.D. Creek whatsoever. Both of those teams are, I mean, any, any, any four teams between those four schools could, could win the state championship. But the obsolete kids, they just don't know how to lose, Kyle. They don't. They've won at every level. They won it directly back to back state champions. They won middle school back to back conference champions. And here in high school, these kids have won 62 games in a row. So they don't get rattled. They—they they, they, Even when they're down, you go back to the Corbin, Kentucky game, the City of the Palms. Your course makes a layup to win the game with time expires. Um, never get shrouded never get out of their comfort zone you, you can look on the court you can't tell if they're winning or if they're losing They, they just
0: uh, I've never seen anything like it yeah and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it back and I'm gonna go on my soliloquy right here um uh, uh, Upson Lee, I, I was doing my my digging just to see what it was because you know it 's three hundred and sixty five days and memory gets a little hazy. Upson Lee was actually up twenty seven to twelve and was up twenty seven to fourteen at the half on Saint Pius, so it wasn 't too close until the second half. They held St. Pius to four of twenty two shooting in the first half until then we saw in the second half. Everett Lane went crazy, went seven to fifteen, hit seven threes. Uh, finished with 29 points and 5 rebounds. As a team, St. Pius shot 8 of 23 from deep. Uh, looking at uh, looking at Upson Lee, they were led by uh, Ty Fagan, had 20 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 blocks. Uh, he, he struggled a little bit here and there, but finished 8 of 18 from the field, 1 of 6 from deep. Um, Upson Lee won the battle in the paint handily, 32 points in the paint. St. Pius scored just 14 points. Uh, Upson Lee scored 15 points off turnovers. St. Pius had nine points off turnovers. Now, Upson Lee, who loves to get out and run, they only had six fast-break points against St. Pius. But on the other hand, uh, St. Pius did not have a fast-break basket against Upson Lee last year. And Trayvon Walker, he loomed large. Uh, The big fella had nine points, 16 rebounds, and four blocks. They won that battle on the boards. Uh, I think I just mentioned it, 37-29. Um, and and that, that was how the game was won. You say, you saw Michael Smith, Mikey Smith, he had eight points. Ivory Scott had eight points. Uh, Mikey's now since gone. Uh, but looking at the St. Pius side, he was 29 points from Everett Lane. He was 9 of 20 from the field overall. But their second leading scorer was Carson Saramore with just seven points, and and he is also graduated, So he's going to have to get some more help from the the Gonzalo twins. Matt Gonzalo was just one of eight with four points last year. Brian Gonzalo, four points. He was one of four. Uh, Just not too much. And you mentioned it inside. I think the post play, it's going to be so huge. I mean, Trayvon only had nine points last year. But he's gotten better offensively, and he's still the best rebounder in the state. Kendi Willis, who's about 6'8", 6'9", probably with that hair, he was one of two from the field. He had just two points. He did have seven rebounds, but, I mean, they, they got they got hurt pretty bad. And, uh, I mean, St. Pius was right there. They cl- cut it back close to a three points down the stretch here and there. Uh, 48, 45 with 23 seconds left, but the Upson Lee, they went, they went eight of 10 from the foul line in the fourth quarter and, and they, they finished 12 and 19 from the line. So they iced it out that way, but, uh, looking at the three pointer, yeah, they were eight of 23 St. Pius Upson Lee was just three of 14, um, four, uh, 19 free throw attempts for Upson Lee, 13 attempts for St. Pius. So everything's been there. The turnover battle, uh, Upson Lee, they were a little sloppy at times there so when they got a little sped up. They had 15 turnovers, just 12 for St. Pius. So, I mean, just looking at it, everything we, we talked about and we expected last year and even this year came, uh, well, not this year, but, but what we think is going to happen this year is, had, had came to fruition. St. Pius won the three-point battle, but Upson Lee Damn. scored a lot of points in the paint, and I think that's going to be the same story because I, I, we, I talked to you uh, a couple of days ago. I said, Upson Lee, they've they beaten everybody placed in front of them. When you're 62 straight wins, that means you can win different styles. You can win pretty. You can win ugly. You can win up and down. You can win a slow, grinded-out game. They've done every single Every single type of game they've had to win, they've won, whether it's, we just said, fast pace, slow pace. You know, if they have to hit a couple threes, they got Ty Fagan's been shooting at a high clip this year. You said he's been struggling a little bit lately, but he he has a good track record this season. They've just done it, done it all, and it's by committee. Ty Fagan's always going to be the key guy, but Trayvon is just so big inside breaking the the rebounding record at City of Palms. Ridiculous. Ja'Cory Smith can you know, cut you up for, for 15 points in the blink of an eye when you don't even know it. I mean, he was, he had just four points and five rebounds last year, but he did ship in two blocks, and as a team, uh, Upson Lee did come away with eight blocks. St. Pius had zero blocks, so again, you know, it was very yeah. important of what they did in the paint, and that's what helped Upson Lee win that game. i think tell another
3: matchup that I think is going to be a good one to see is going to be Gonzalo um, the not you know say high Not Brian, but uh Matthew. Mm-hmm. I like yeah. Matthew he comes out. Him versus Ari Scott, that should be a fun matchup to watch. Both kids are quick as a cat. Um, both kids are are more I know Zyres this year has he, he has done a great job distributing the ball being a facilitator. Uh, now don't get me wrong, he's not afraid to shoot. But that's not what absolutely asks of him. They don't ask of him to score twenty five a game. And you know, if he if he put up more shots, he probably could get that. At least uh, at least get ten to twenty points a game. He, he could get that if he wanted. But he's he's averaging somewhere around six or seven assists a game. He gets three or four steals. Um, he he struggled a little bit this year from the free throw line, which is which is odd because last year I think he was one of our better free throw shooters. Um, but he's another kid who's, who's – the moment's never too big for him. He's used to play. I mean, he thought he played as a freshman and uh, as did Fagan. Um, so that he played on those teams in the middle school that won the, the championships. And and uh and he's just uh, – he's a greedy player, man. He loves to compete. He is a huge competitor. And that's one thing I'll tell you about St. Pius's team. I see them on film. They just compete. I mm-hmm. watched the game uh, yesterday, just watching them in Lake and Hughes, that game from earlier in the season. And uh, you know, Lanyard's knowledge always the best player on the court in that game, probably the best player in the state, one of the top three. And the St. Pius just I mean that they just took the tool. I mean, has got his. But uh I was so impressed with their team play and the way they, they just they they penetrate and kick and always the extra pass and they find the open shooter and they knock it down. Mm-hmm. And that's something
0: up, so gonna have to have to know that just because you stopped the put the
3: penetration and you get a handout on that on the, on the shooter that's been the ball's been kicked out. It's the next pass or the next pass is going to be open. You know, that got to rotate. And that scares that. That really scares me because uh, we did not rotate well in the zone
0: against City Creek. I just don't see us playing zone against St. Pius. So maybe we won't have that problem. Right, right. Um, it's just going to be a battle of who's who's game who's game plan um, is better than the others. Yes, you know, St. Pius, still will be able to hit those shots.
6: Or up to the league, gonna be able to make it more of a. You said they had thirty-two points in the paint last year compared to fourteen. Well, that's that's why they want. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that that was a ball game. So
3: um, I'm just tired, man. It's gonna be a great game. All the matchups this year are are really good, but this is and there's some surprises. You go look at. Looks at Meadow Creek and, is it, and Norcross and, mm-hmm. and Grayson and Newton. Where was McEachern at? They're, they're gone. I mean, that surprised everyone. You, you had a poll on com that said, who do you take, McEachern or the field? I voted McEachern. I'm not going to lie. So, I mean, and then you look at Morgan County has gone. I thought they'd be in the championship game. Uh, uh, who else is uh, in, in double-A, Thomasville, or Reggie Perry, he, he, he's proved to be the man that everybody always says he is. So they're there. I mean, it's just some wonderful matchups this year in, in Georgia High School basketball. And I'll put the state of Georgia against you know, any state out there. You know, I'm just – I can't wait, man. It's going to be a great week.
0: You're right, Wes. That game will tip off Saturday at Georgia Tech, 4 p.m. Get there early, early, early. The first game of the day is at 2 o'clock. You're going to want to get there at probably 1 o'clock uh, it's going to be a great game. I'm sure I will see you there. And Wes McCard, yeah. thank you so much for coming on. I, I know this is definitely the, the longest uh, single game that we are covering in this podcast, but it needs to be the longest covered game because it is going to be the best game just atmosphere-wise alone. I think both teams will bring it on the court. Uh, I'm not going to be disappointed. I don't think anyone's going to be disappointed. And yeah. once again, Mr. McCard, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you, Kyle, for having me. We'll see you Saturday. Our last two championship games, it always seems to work out this way. It's going to be 7A, the highest, I should say the largest by enrollment size, classification of high school basketball in the state of Georgia. First, the girls at 6 p.m., the Cambridge Pavilion. Saturday, March 10th, it's going to be Newton versus Westlake. I was lucky enough to be at those final four games, Kyle, and uh, both of these teams took a bit of a tumultuous path to the final four.
0: Yeah, you're not kidding. I'll, I'll give a quick recap on what happened in the uh, in the semifinal games, and I'll, I'll let you take the floor because you were actually there in person. You did a great job. Thank you so much for getting out there to Buford and doing a great job with the Twitter covering that while I was over there in Carrollton. But those games were, uh, boy, you said it when I talked to you, tale of two halves. Newton comes back from, I think they're down like 18 points, comes back to beat McEachern. Dethrones, the uh, four time state champs, sixty-five fifty-seven. Lexi Chapman had 21 points in that win. Uh, Journey Smith played well also. Uh, and McEachin, you know, you got to give credit to them. They had a ton of injuries down the stretch. Uh, Kemi Award going down with the ACL was, you know, probably the last blow for them. But the tables definitely turned because that, this was pretty much the Norcross game in the Elite Eight where McEachin rallied and shocked them. One in overtime, 67-62. And that was, the shoe was on the other foot, and Newton uh, did the damage, and they, they, they did, the again, the deed and knocked out the favorite there. And then on the other side, Westlake, I, I, I would love to hear what you think about this game. I already know what uh, you <laughs> think. 52-44 over North Forsyth, Anastasia Warren, 13 points. Uh, it was Catherine Shope, I believe, that finished with 17 points in the loss for North Forsyth. So without further ado, Ramin, take it away. Tell us what you saw.
1: Yeah, so first I'll start with McEachern versus Newton. That was really a tale of two halves at first. I was kind of dreading it. It was the first game of the day at Buford, and you get there. Uh, McEachern is just jumping down Newton's throat. They open up 21-10 to 10 at one point. It was 33-20 to 20 with 3.55 left in the f- in the second quarter, um, at the half, it was 41-25. McEachern Newton just didn't have anything. Uh, outside shots weren't falling. Couldn't get any drives inside. McEachern tough in the paint, and then you come out the second half, and McEachern they played slow. It almost I almost thought they went came out of the halftime and. Coach Phyllis Arthur was telling them to slow it down and try to kill a clock. They just look flat. And all of a sudden, I see, I don't think that's the game plan, but they just didn't have anything coming out of the locker room at the half. Um, with 4:04 left in the third quarter, Newton goes on a run, and they start to cut the deficit to eight. Uh, rebounding was huge in the first half. McEachern dominated the glass. Now in the second half, Newton got back in it. It became a lot more evenly matched for Newton. Rachel Hilliard came in big. Throughout the game, Ariana Card and Journey Smith, Journey Smith number twenty-three, she really got the game going. She took control of it in the third quarter, and she's what got this game tied up in the fourth quarter. Alexia Chapman some huge threes that gave Newton its first lead, forty-nine to forty-seven, and just late in the game, you know, with three four minutes left in the fourth quarter, um, McEachern just couldn't find offense to save its life, and. A complete complete change from what we saw in the first half But it was really just a tale of two halves And Newton had enough to pull it out and move on to the championship game Now on the other side The uh, third game of the day was North Forsyth Coached by Eric Herrick and Westlake under head coach Hilda Hankerson, that was a very different game. I'm coming in, North Forsyth, Westlake. They played two completely different styles of basketball, and it showed. Um, we had very little offense through a quarter. I believe it was something like 6-5 to five at the end of the first. Just the shots weren't falling. I've never seen the ball loose on a basketball court for that long between in that game between North Forsyth and Westlake. It was just a game of attrition, and the referees came up huge. They were calling the game. They weren't making good calls, but they were blowing their whistle a lot. And I think that really played into Coach Herrick's hand. He really wanted to come in, slow the game down. Um, his girls, all credit to him, excellently coached game, well-executed game plan. The fouls, I think, contributed to what he wanted to do to slow down the game. And he doesn't have really the athletes to compete with... Westlake, but they did hustle and what happened was anytime you drove there was a foul so you don't really need to finish the drive if you're going to get a foul called and there was a lot of trips to the line North Forsyth is going to be haunted by their free throw shooting there was a stat floated around press row 15 for 25 North Forsyth did not take uh, not capitalize on their trips to the free throw line Cassie Markle had a good game for them Catherine Chope I think led them in scoring Carolyn Martin looked really good but at the end of the day they just didn't have enough against Westlake Paris Mullins big inside. Raven Johnson, the freshman, um, didn't stand out, but that's also a good thing. Not making freshman mistakes really carried the ball, distributed the ball well at the point for Westlake. Simone Lett came in, and, you know, it's just really at the half. I uh, tweeted on my personal account, Kyle, I I think it's the first time that I've ever watched a half of basketball, and I have no clue what my analysis should be. There's just two completely Mm -hmm. opposing styles of basketball that clashed and you get a product um at the end we were talking and I'm like I think from what I saw Newton is going to take it to Westlake and you kind of gave me a quizzical response and I'm like you know but then I, I sit here and I think about it more Westlake's talent has shown throughout the year and I don't think I can evaluate Westlake's well just in a game that was that crazy that was that foul riddled against North Forsyth Um, and I think it's going to be a good one between Newton and Westlake I think Newton had the more promising Final Four game they have to feel better going into the Final Four game but Westlake has pedigree
0: yeah that is a a great point to put it Uh, they they do feel good which is which is interesting, I mean, complete flip-flops, like, okay, Newton beat, Cherokee was good this year, but Cherokee did lose, like, two girls to ACLs within a two-week span, and didn't have two of their best players, that was a 70-68 to win for Newton, and we, we saw, what, it was like 51-34, to just an absolute beatdown, Westlake, which we quoted as possibly the state championship right there, they drilled Collins Hill, and to be honest, uh, you know, they might have, even if they they will never admit it, maybe uh, subliminally uh, in the back of their minds, you know, oh, we're playing North for south, This could be a trap game. It was really a trap game for them. They might have overlooked them just a little bit because, you know, everyone was hyping up that Collins Hill game, and they crushed them like that. And, you know, I'm the first one to say, oh, my God, these guys are unbelievable. They're just going to steamroll them. Coach Herrick did a hell of a job with that team this year with those shooters and just playing extremely hard and maybe that will have Westlake refocus because Newton's you know very similar they they play extremely hard but you can't and you go down nearly twenty points to a four time defending state champion and you come back and just beat them down with just some just aggressive guards and just some hard working uh just hard work out there for the Rams and tiffany Johnson I mean Westlake's going to have their hands full again, but again. Now, if you're just looking 1-10, through 1-12, I've been saying it pretty much all season. If you're looking at the complete roster, I mean, Westlake's definitely the most talented team uh, in the state. Taylor Hosendove, who's been committed to to Texas Tech. Anastasia Warren has been huge her senior year. The freshman, Raven Johnson. Simone Lett, who was an All-State pick last year. Shakina Howard was also an All-State pick last year when they transferred in here. Paris Mullins is... You, know, you said it. Big, physical inside. Brianna Turnage gives them good minutes off the bench as a, a, a six-foot freshman. Just so many players, and I mean, when all these people graduate, you're looking at I don't know five, six, possibly Division one players. But again, welcome to the state of Georgia. It doesn't matter if you're a Uh, If you have any stars next to your name or not, like everything is going to be decided on the court. Just ask McEachern boys, McEachern girls, just ask anybody. Uh, It is super hard to win a state championship in Georgia, and Newton is going to give them everything they can handle and more in this state championship game.
1: Yeah, you know, as I said, it was hard really to evaluate. That was a tough, tough game to try to judge North Forsyth-Westlake. Lots of whistles, lots of trips to the line. And North Forsyth, another thing i just reading through my notes, um, they're young. They played a lot of sophomores out there, and oftentimes they made some bad decisions with the ball, trying to force it inside, trying to you know, drive when they should have kicked it out, uh, turn the ball over at times. And that'll with experience, a lot of sophomores, they look poised to make another run maybe two years from now, as I heard. Um, but... Westlake Newton, I do not overlook Newton in this Class 7A girls championship. I think Newton can certainly take it to Westlake, and I think Newton has the firepower, especially if their perimeter shooting starts falling, which did not happen in the first half against McEachern. If they can shoot from the mid range and outside three, which they have the shooters to do it. This was their worst shooting uh, game of the year from outside. If Newton's outside three can shoot, uh, can fall, excuse me, I think they can take it to and beat Westlake in this championship, Kyle.
0: Very well put, Ramin. I agree with everything you said. You put a nice bow and a ribbon on it.
1: And now on to the 7A boys, the final game of the GHSA championship schedule. It's going to be Norcross versus Meadow Creek. Kyle, I'll let you lead.
0: Yeah, uh, and uh, we had uh, a really good guest to talk about this one, and and David Friedlander, who was also there shoulder-by-shoulder uh, shoulder with the great Ramin Forgani over there at the Beaufort, uh City Arena. So David Friedlander, he's seen pretty much every matchup between Meadow Creek and Norcross this year, and again, this is one of those, one of those showdowns, meeting for the fourth time. Norcross has beat them all three times, two of them from... Kyle Sertivan, buzzer beaters, and uh, we were lucky enough to have David Friedlander from the Gwinnett Daily Post to come on and give us some insight on what to expect between these two Clash of the Titans. Here with us to break down the big one, the 7A Boys Championship game between Region 7, Number one seed, number two in the state, Norcross versus Region Seven. Number two seed, number six in the state, Meadow Creek, is David Friedlander of the Gwinnett Daily Post. Mr. Friedlander, thank you for breaking this game down with us. I know you've seen uh, many of these games between these two rivals, and they're going to tip it off for a fourth time this season. Thanks for coming on. No problem, no problem. It's going to be a fun game. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So I guess we'll, we'll start breaking it down. Uh, we'll take a look at Norcross. I mean, it was a great win for Norcross. They beat McKeechan by 20. They beat Newton 86-66. Uh, great games from Kyle Sturdivant and Brandon Boston, Jojo Toppin, and then Kevon Escridge had a season high with 17 points. Uh, what did you see from Norcross in their, their blowout win over Newton? By depth. And, and by depth, I mean, not necessarily that
9: he, they go too deep off the bench.
0: Uh, They do have mainly
9: two reserves, but they get contributions from literally every position in their starting lineup. I mean, there's, there are very few weak spots. If you try and take away one thing, they will counter with another. Uh, I mean, you look at yesterday, Brandon Boston really kind of, uh, kind of, I don't want to say neutralized Ashton Higgins, but uh, he was clearly the best player on the court. Uh, for most of that game, and of course, a lot of eyes were going to be on Hagen's, and, and Hagen definitely came alive in the third quarter. But I mean, he, somebody who could who could counter, I guess, the kind of talent uh, he brought. And then you you know the other thing when you talk about depth with Norcross is they basically could come with two different point guards uh, in Dalvin White and, and Sturdivant. Uh, again, you try to take one away, somebody else can handle whatever defense you try and throw at them and, and can kind of engineer their way through that. So that's, that's a very big thing for them and w- it was huge for them yesterday.
0: And those sophomores have really been picking up the slack. I mean, Brandon Boston, he's been really coming into his own down the stretch and then Eskridge with a big 17 points. What have you seen from them <laughs> late in the season? Eskridge in particular was, was kind of surprised. He was, he's been kind of a role player
9: uh I know he's, he's had experience before because I believe he played uh, at Columbia before he came to mm-hmm. uh, Norcross this year. But So he's had a little bit of experience, but yesterday when they really needed somebody to come in and give him a spark, he did. I mean, that was you – know, and he's always shown the ability to, you know, to kind of give him a spark, but not to that extent like he did yesterday. In terms mm-hmm. of Brandon Boston, uh, he's you. He, If you've watched him the entire year, you've really seen that kid grow up a lot. Again, he was more like an Eskridge player last year. They've asked him to do a lot more this year. And in the last, say, month, month and a half in particular, he has been just lights out. I mean, he, he is really starting to become more confident, more assertive. And, again, it's going to be really scary what he could be like when he finally fills out because that's the only thing. That's that's kind of holding him back, back right now. He's kind of slender,
0: and he needs to put on some weight. But, again, he's only 16 years old. He's only a sophomore, so you know that's going to come at some point. Right, right. And let's let's take a quick look at Meadow Creek, 57-55 over Grayson, Jameer Chaplin, Corey Hightower with very strong games. And Meadow Creek's yes. a team that's really been getting it done on the defensive side of the court with Hightower going and, to Detroit, and then you got Dick Kane's uh, Amari Kelly inside. A- absolutely, absolutely. Don't get me wrong, but
9: that is where they make their bones and they make no sense of hiding it. Uh, in fact, that, that to me, that's going to be a very key part of this game coming up is kind of take a look at where the score is. Because if it, it, I kind of set it over under, probably somewhere in the 60 to 65 point range, mm-hmm. anything higher than that, and you definitely got to favor Norcross if it's anything in that range or below, then Medicare will definitely have a shot at this. to the 33 points.
0: One thing that would be in Norcross's advantage, I want to see if you agree with me, is definitely the depth, right? Meadow Creek's not super deep compared to Norcross. Norcross can play a lot of guys that can give them some good sparks off the bench. Meadow Creek is more of a really kind of like a six, seven-man rotation, would you say? Well,
9: Norcross does um, really only have two guys that they, they work a whole lot off of the bench as far in terms of minutes. Mm-hmm. Caleb Murphy and, and, uh, and the aforementioned Out Eskridge, uh, but yeah, occasionally you'll see, you know, somebody like a, a, you know, Alonzo Johnson or a, or Lewis Williams could give them some minutes. So yeah, they are a little bit deeper, but those two, uh, the thing is is that those two Murphy and Eskridge can actually, you know, do more than just give you a few minutes. They can actually get, you know, and that must be a better way for me to put this, but they can actually contribute. They could, they could be starters, if they had to be. In fact, they probably would, in fact, in Eskic's case, probably would be a starter in a lot of other places. The thing with, with North of uh, with Medellin, rather, is, uh, again, you've got a couple of kids who can uh, contribute, but they're very specific roles. In case, like say, Emmanuel Collier, mm-hmm. he's a kid who's gonna, he's gonna help you out shooting-wise. Uh, Whitlock is a guy who can, you know, help handle the basketball. Uh, DeWitt Crippland, uh or, De, yeah, I believe that's how he pronounces his name. Uh, is a kid who's, who's really starting to grow up a little bit too, but again, they seem those reserves seem a little bit more limited than in their skill sets than the Northcross reserves. So, it, like you said, if it gets into a case where uh, the officials start calling again closer, you start seeing some foul trouble roll up. That,
0: like you said, that could not be an issue, and it probably would fav- favor Northcross and Meadow Creek they really dominated the paint didn't they have like almost 50 points in the paint against Grayson I, I would have to say it's going to be a lot tougher to do that against Norcross when they got uh, Issa Muhammad and Jojo Toppin can even help out down low as well defensively true that, that is very true
9: but the one thing in Meadow Creek's statement that I did see uh, and I had not seen them live in a, in a few weeks uh, that they're doing a little, it seems like they're doing a little bit differently than uh, earlier in the season is that they're moving the ball around instead of just trying to set up that same high low where they try to and almost try and force it in uh, to one of the big guys down low. Uh, this time they did a little bit more moving the ball around the perimeter and finding the weak spots because almost everybody's going to try and play zone against them just because of their size. Uh, and they know this, and I think that's, that's something they've been working on. Uh, but again, instead of just trying to be over the top, lobby, I think they tried that enough where they've learned that they can't get away with that against Norcross, so that they did it very well where they moved the ball, ball moving and, and, and try to find the weak spot in the
7: middle of the zone and kind of work from there.
0: And I, I think personally, uh the two of the key kind of like X factors, you know the the, the front is gonna be what really charges Meadow Creek, but Declarus yeah. Nicholas and then the, the freshman Keijak Green, who's been pretty steady for them, uh, are they gonna be able to play in the biggest stage? I know Green's just a freshman, we said that Nicholas is senior, but I think the guard play, they're gonna really have their hands full. Can they really handle this Norcross team? They're seeing them for a fourth time. It's definitely a, a, going to be
9: a matchup to watch. Uh, again, the thing that I, I like about uh, about these two guys, uh, Nichols in particular, has been around a couple of years. He's he's a veteran. You're not gonna uh, you're not gonna rattle him too much, and he's he's uh, definitely a warrior. With Green, uh, what I've liked about him is that you know he's taken you know a few he's had a few problems late in games, especially shooting free throws, which is going to be. Maybe the biggest X factor for uh, Meadow Creek as a team. But take a look at, at the Region Championship game uh, that they played against Norcross. If you remember, he was the one who hit the shot that actually put them up. Mm-hmm. That was a brilliant move. It was, a, it was really a gutsy move. It looked like he had a, an open shot from the perimeter. Pump got somebody in the air, took a dribble, and, and hit a little you know fifty foot sh- uh, jumper from the from the foul line. So he's got a little sad. He's, he's starting to grow up a little bit, kind of like Boston, only maybe, you know, he's obviously a year behind, so it's, the process is, is still not quite as far along. But you're starting to see that kid grow up a little bit. Maybe he's starting to get, you know, starting to get more used to these big stages. Like I said, Nichols has been on these stages before, at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that, that's going to be the big that, – that I'm not so worried about. But I'm worried about more about, in, in their cases is, is the size issue. Uh, if one of them has to, if, you know, if Norcross comes out and tries and, and, and throw somebody like Boston or uh, or even Kyle Sterling who's got some size, uh, either of those two guys are very uh, are very big, although, uh, you know, Kendrick is, is has maybe a little bit thicker in terms of his, his body type, mm-hmm. but uh, that, that's something they're going to, as far as length is concerned, that's something they're going to have to deal with, and how well they deal with uh, is, go a
0: long way, I think, in who wins this game. Yeah, and they, like we said, they played three times, 65-52, then two buzzer beaters from Kyle Sturdivant, 64-63, then 53-52. Norcross swept the season series. What what can you really expect to be different? If Meadow Creek wants to really win this game and, you know, send the tie, they probably should have won two of those games, two buzzer beaters. Yeah. What, what can you yeah. see being like a really key factor of Meadow Creek finally getting over the hump? I'm, I'm
9: going back to free throw shooting, particularly, again, if they're up, Uh, they're going to have to do a better job than what they did last night for sure and it's gone back to them a couple times, that that first buzzer beater from Sturdivant would not have even been an issue had they not missed, I think it was something like four or five different free throws in the last minute, minute and a half, so that is something, they when they get to the last, well which is another thing, if you look at last night's game with with Graces, they only got to the line nine times the entire game, which is, is a lot less than you usually used to seeing from them. So they're going to have to see if they can draw some contact. Maybe you know get some of their guys and some of Northcross's guys in foul trouble. But once they get there, they're going to have to do a much better job of knocking those down because it could be a different You know, four or five points like that could be a difference in you know being a close game toward the end where they have a shot to win or having to play catch up if they fall behind. So that's going to be you know, little things like that are going to be a big key, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And Norcross, we know they lost that heartbreaker to Tiff County last year. I always say it is so difficult to win a state championship in the state of Georgia, any classification. I know those guys are, are definitely hungry. And uh, I, I'm, I, I'm very thankful that you were able to come on today and, and give us a breakdown. I know you've seen them play a, a multitude of times. You're the man to ask for Gwinnett County basketball. And Mr. Friedlander, uh, thank you very much for joining
1: us today. Well, I appreciate you having me. Kyle, we have covered all eight classifications of GHSA basketball, boys and girls. We look forward to a fun slate of 16 championship games starting on Wednesday at Macon and ending on Saturday at Georgia Tech.
0: You're right, Ramin. And this is by far our longest podcast, but it is our most important podcast. Thank you, everybody that has been following us uh, throughout the season, throughout the, the off season, the regular season, region tournaments, everything. This is where it all concludes. This is the mountaintop. This is the peak. This is the summit and we had to go strong and try to provide you with as many voices as possible from people that have seen all these teams. It's just not fair to just have one voice talking. I I try to know as much as possible, but goodness gracious knows I do not know everything. So I tried to get a little help from my friends and uh Thank you again for everybody following sandyspill.com. dot uh, com. Thank you, Ramin, for this uh, this great podcast and the great effort through the season. I'm sure we will do a wrap up episode after the state championships, and you know, once we're out of uh, high school basketball season, the uh, it gets a little sparse, and the the podcasts are you know hit you know here and there if there's any big news. Uh, coaching changes so on and so forth but uh again just to wrap up on behalf of ramin forgani this is kyle sandy the owner and founder of Sandysfield.com. thank you so much for listening and i will see you at the macon centerplex and the camish pavilion later this week